Jeff is sitting in front of an epic long goodbye poster. It's really, it's a beautiful thing. And we were talking about how you really like 70s LA. Yeah, I love 70s. I, I love Elliot Gould as well. When I saw The Long Goodbye for the first time, it was like one of those movies where I, I couldn't believe someone wasn't like, you need to see this movie because you will deeply relate to this movie. And it was like a mm-hmm. stone Jewish detective like wandering through like, <laughs> the hills of Los Angeles, the lowlands, and like with a cat like that he's talking to. And I'm like, I felt very seen. So, you know, it was it was nice to see that kind of representation in film was, was me as Elliot Gould in 1972 L.A. I've always felt so funny. Like, it's a thing that, you know, doesn't get spoken of, like, directly exactly. But it's, like, this sexual, ob- the Jewish male sexual object is just hilariously uncomfortable for everyone. Totally. That's why it's you know? so funny, right? Because they're, like, <laughs> like, like, when I'm, like, I look back and I'm, like, Elliot Gould was, like, the guy. And, like, when you think about it, you're, like, well, that makes but then you're like it's just funny that like Elliot Gould was like a movie star right who fucks you know like Elliot Gould just fucks right because like Dustin Hoffman was doing it and now it's so weird it's like Channing Tatum or like Chris one of the Chris guys like that I don't know the difference totally but they're not like Robert Redford (laughs) makes sense like when I go watch a 70s movie and it's like Robert Redford he was fucking people Warren Beatty was fucking people but like Dustin oh. Hoffman, like, dude, you know, I can't say it. Yeah. Well, can't Paul Newman, it. I think, was the line, right? Man, Paul, Paul Newman, Newman. Was, like, oh my God. I think he was like half yeah. or a quarter or something. He was so in he Washington, was, like, Connecticut, where my parents have a place. And yeah, I would see him in like, man, classiest motherfucker. Like, just so fucking classy. And his wife, Joanne Woodward, like, wow. That's his, yeah, that's the line, I guess. It's like the Paul Newman, it's like, um, I've talked about before, Paul Schrader wrote uh, like an art film archetype, basically, and he has the Tarkovsky line, which is if you cross the Tarkovsky line, you are in like museum film territory versus like cinema territory, like movies that would be put on a museum wall. Um, Paul Newman is like that, is that line of like sexy and classy, not a Chris, you know? <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, I don't know what the names are. Like, they're all like, it's like Chris Pine, there's Chris Evans. Like, aren't there more? I feel they're all names. Yeah, oh no, there, I think there's, <laughs> like, four, like there's the four big Chrises. There's uh, Hemsworth. Right. And yeah. isn't, isn't the Andy guy from the, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy? Pine? Is he Chris Pine? Or is he no, no, guy? the guy from the guy from the Parks and Recreation who's in Jurassic. Yeah, what's thing. his last name? Is his name Chris? I think his name's Chris also. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, is he Chris Pine? I'm going to Google this. No, Chris, Chris Pine's Chris the dude with the eyes that hangs out at No Name all the time and, like, drinks a lot. Chris and Pine is not, you're right, Chris Chris Pine is not that, yeah, what is... Chris Pine, Chris, yeah. uh, I can't, now that we're doing it, like, I can't, you know. But yeah. the Chris's are, like, infinitely thing. less attractive to me. Chris I guess, Pratt. Chris Pratt. Yeah, Chris Pratt, Chris right. Pratt. They all have their Chris own, Pratt. like, all the Chris's are terrible. I hate the Chris's. Like... I, I yeah, guess I'm this is not. I can't get into. Chris it. I don't like any. But I don't. I've never seen Guardians of the Galaxy, so that's like a Guardians of the that. Galaxy. I'm not gonna lie, it's probably my favorite thing from any Chris. Like the first one, the second I one sucks. It's fun. I'm not. It's really fun. It's like one of those things that I'm just like, okay, you know what? I'll hand it to these assholes. Like, I thoroughly enjoyed myself for the last, you know, 
whatever yeah. bloated two well, hours. Well, you're limited, ago. I think, as a Chris. Like, there's only so much you can do as a Chris, you know? <laughs> so I think it's like, uh, I mean, is it, I, I, I can't wait. Well, just, I'm just going to cancel if my anti-Chris. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. There's there's stands out there that are going yeah. to... How are gonna, dare you? Weird world we live in. <laughs> really can only but I know that there's others. Ryan Phillippe, he's a homie. Yeah. I like Ryan Phillippe, but he's not like part of that. He's he's I like Ryan Phillippe. Yeah, he's yeah. Cool. Ryan Phillippe's yeah. like a real, like a regular LA guy. Like I became friends with him a while ago, and like he like he's 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 just like he's cool. I like him. He's like a hip hop guy, isn't he? Loves hip hop. Yeah, like like he's he's really good friends yeah. with. I I don't want to like give personal information, but like his like best friend, he has like a squad, and um one of them is like another actor and and the others are like really cool hip-hop managers cool. i can tell i'll tell you like offline but i feel like weird like i shouldn't out they're like they go to totally. like a certain the guy, the guy's like a lifetime pass for me from cruel intentions anyways good good film good good late 90s film i like, literally that. talked to ryan about doing an episode together about that because i was an upper east side kid and when that movie came out i like had all these we would talk about christian and all that shit and like yeah. i wasn't a wasp i was a jew but yeah i was like this i had this strange you know comparison to him because he was like embodying this kind of you know um vampiric like i guess at the time they called it metrosexual thing yeah he wasn't gay like he would have sex with women but in a way that like masculinity was was very usurped and for me but he was surrounded he had all the all the most beautiful women around him but like joshua he wasn't jackson seen was in that movie right what? like wasn't he, was joshua jackson in that movie yeah i think so i think joshua jackson was in all of those movies like for a period of time yeah <laughs> he had at least some role <laughs> And probably got yeah. killed. He got killed in every single one of them. I feel yeah. like he got yeah, run he over got by run. the car in the end. Isn't he the one who gets run over? I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. But so, I loved moment. my, like, connection. Joshua Jackson was more, like, masculine. Like, yeah. was more like Elliot Gould masculinity. You know, like, a, a different kind of masculinity, but still masculine. Ryan Phillippe did this other thing that was, like, this sort of like non-threatening kind of gay masculinity almost kind of like if christian from uh, clueless was in the women absolutely God. exactly exactly that no dead on yeah. and i i related to it because i wasn't i was doing it in a different way i wasn't handsome like that but i was a who, who is who among us <laughs> <laughs> right. no not even close like i wasn't like attractive in any way but i was i had all the pretty girls were my best friends yeah. because of like, I basically, I knew what Laura Palmer was from Twin Peaks. And I had an understanding of like, I didn't know this at the time, but that would, that looking back, I know why I was able to connect with these kinds of women who were like, you know, it, 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 so much broader than me and, yeah. and us, they were going through such serious things. And I had exposure through it, through books and, and films. Yeah. And I could relate to them somehow, and I was safe. And yeah. I would walk around with like all these women who other guys were trying to fuck, and I would have loved to, to be honest, but like never even crossed my mind because like I don't get to do that, you know? Yeah. So I was safe. 
but my lifestyle from outside looked like Christian. You know, like I'd be the guy after school in the fancy Upper East Side apartment with like the beautiful girl that everyone's calling on the phone. And like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think anyone thought that I was like doing anything, but like, I just remember that idea that I was kind of amongst these beautiful, these like otherworldly yeah. beautiful women. That I, I, I never understood like the pejorative of the, fr I mean, like maybe when I was in high school, like I didn't want to, but like then afterwards, like the, the notion of the friend zone per se, where it's like, it's like, it's like pretty good. Like you, you want to be friends with girls. Like, why, yeah. you know what I mean? like, why not? Like, it's not like, I don't know. As I've gotten older, I, I've, I've like, I think when I was in high school, I was like very much like, I didn't want a girl to not like me, but now I'm like, Oh, that's cool. I'd love to just, you know what I mean? Like, it's great. Like, yeah, I do it all the time. You can learn so much from women as your friends where you're not trying to, you know, I don't know. It's a uh, friend zone underrated. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I had this, I, I had this epiphany at some point in like middle school where I didn't want, I recognized that things were taken from these girls all the time because someone wanted multiple things and they wanted to reframe what this, this girl was represented something to, the, to, to complete this person's identity oh. that had nothing to do with her. And therefore he would make her, he would give her an ultimatum to either yeah. do that, complete that, play that role or lose the friendship. And she yeah. would have to lose the friendship or do something that she didn't want to do. And I, became aware of that for some reason very young and i just yeah, no, i was I, like i'm never gonna do that totally and yeah no i had a ton of friends uh like a lot of my close friends in high school were actually girls that were totally platonic and yeah you learn was, a lot I, I, totally, that's why you're a writer you know <laughs> yeah totally i learned like so much from like just having you know i never understood the people that only had friends with like one gender you know what i mean like right. it never made sense to me why like you're like well, I, I like, I briefly pledged to fraternity because I didn't know what a fraternity was in college because I played baseball and all these like baseball bros were in a fraternity. Oh, I did too. What a fraternity? I hung and out they, with the baseball fraternity once and I was like, this is weird. Yeah. It's a nice, I went to art so school, weird. so it was like a no-brainer to not do it, but yeah. I totally, I de-pledged it before I became like a frat bro. Where did <laughs> you go to school? Being there. And I was just like, what the fuck is wrong with all you people? Like clearly totally. like the opposite where it was like women were, you know, not to like, but even then, like, I knew that, like, I was like, yeah, you guys are monsters. Like, this is not cool. And, you know, it, it, it was actually the most, I think the most formative experience of your life is figuring out what you aren't. And I think before you even figured out what you are, you have to figure out what you weren't. And I'll never forget. I mean, I ended up writing, like, an unpublished novel about how much I hated this fraternity. And, oh, wow. like, when I was in college, it was, like, kind of what got me started. Well, because what happened was a guy on my baseball team died in a car accident, in a hazing trip from the same fraternity. Oh, God. Younger than me. And that kind of galvanized me. I was already kind of writing, but that I wanted to tell the story. And basically, I'll never forget, but when I, a few years earlier, I was like a pledge, you know, before I just got out of it. And I, I, one of the things that made me get out of it was like these guys would, they would sit in a circle at like their Sunday meetings and like they would pass a gavel around and you were still like, tell what you did with what girl that week and i oh, never that, i mean that shit was the weirdest to me i remember summer camp when weird. we all watched porn like, together i was like what are we doing right now this is so strange like yeah and talking about girls like i've never talked about girls from the time i was, <laughs> yeah, I was fucking like, like, like a nice like, jewish kid i'm like what <laughs> i'm like what is going on you yo know? when like, i had my first girlfriend in sixth grade yeah. like it I, it was like the worst day of my life because i felt this i had to tell my parents and like, it was like, 
I'm going out with this girl now. And I like, I didn't know why it's I had to tell them, but I just did. But right. like to talk about it was nuts. It felt so, <laughs> so weird, so dissonant. And, you know, ever since then, yeah, like every time I've been in these conversations that, you know, you and I have clearly both been in for, you know, 30 years, whatever, like, so fucking weird. So fucking yeah, weird. I, I just, it's just very, I hope that is one of the things where like as masculinity continues to get redefined and reexamined, I hope that's one of the things that like younger generations are not like, like, I hope like there are, not, I mean, I don't know what frat culture would look like, but I hope it's not like that anymore. I hope it's like, I hope it's, I mean, I don't think there should be, I'm not, a, I, I'm kind of pretty anti-fraternities, but yeah. Like I Do get you have brothers like, and sisters. I have a sister. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No brother. Yeah. Well, yourself. I have, well, finish what you were saying, but I have a younger brother and I have, I have a bit of perspective on what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah. It, I hope that, that I, I really hated that element of, I, you know, just like, I would hope that if there are fraternities, I feel like some people like it gives them a sense of belonging. And obviously like there's black fraternities, which have like a really storied history. And I think that's a different thing. That's a whole nother thing. I mean, basically anything like, like you can go into this so much more than I can, but like pretty much like anything that black people create, like is more foundational, like has more grounding than anything that white people create. White people create things for stupid reasons. Black people create things because like they are going to use them and they're going to do things with them. (laughs) Like white white people are ridiculous. (laughs) I would guess that most of the fraternities are like found. Like if you dig deep, I assume they're probably founded in some kind of evil white supremacy. You know what I mean? Like, like, like I think the fraternity that like I pledged in college was like from like, I don't even remember, but it was like, you were supposed to like learn the history of the fraternity. I was like, I'm good y'all. Like I'm I'm a pass on this one. And I'm pretty sure it was like some kind of like racist ass bullshit. And I was just like, I can't. I got, I gotta go. I gotta go guys. This is, this is good luck. I'll see you baseball practice. You know, yeah, like, exactly. It was, oh, was my, probably- my racism on my baseball team was so weird growing. Like I, I played baseball in New York, but, um, I did like double and I would do Florida for like half the year too. And Florida was fucking weird baseball. Cause I was like the only Jewish kid and it was weird. I would get heckled and stuff. And like, had exposure to things that you know dallas team and florida teams just like it was different you know we had horns and stuff like that baseball a pretty anti-semitic sport actually i remember we played uh miracosta high school from the south bay when i was in high school and they wrote like hook nose jews in the dugout and my team was like not even i mean maybe it was like a third jewish or something you know like it wasn't like all jews but they would write like hook nose they wrote swastikas and even in college like i definitely wasn't like quite like school ties <laughs> but you know it was like you know like I almost got you know it was a guy who I ended up being friends with but you know he kind of called me a Jew I'll never forget and I was like are you how dare you I was like I, ba- I was gonna charge him the baseball bat oh like, one you know? of my favorite things is from uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia that episode where like uh they talk about how Jew and Mexican are like racial slurs and he's like dude you can't you can't call him a Mexican he's like what, what do you mean he's 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 a Mexican he's from Mexico he's Mexican like but yeah I know but you, you can't say it like that well, you know it's, it's like, like <laughs> right like you know what I mean yeah. where it's like how you say it. you're like oh he's a Jew versus yeah. like oh he's a Jew, Jew. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? very tonal difference you know like or Jew is an adjective right like to Jew someone bad word don't say it not a good thing from all, all the people have although a commonly used adjective in middle America I don't know the rise of anti-semitism is very 
weird and disturbing now yeah. and like a, a you know fucking I don't know my family like doesn't think that like Trump foments and oh my mom is cool but like I have family members I should say they don't think that Trump foments anti-semitism which yeah, is insane yeah. I mean, and yeah. I, I I don't get that I don't know I, I really don't get a lot of things about people. I don't understand anti-semitism really I haven't tried to explore because thankfully I guess like we've built up enough that enough insulation and it's not really like it's important but it's like not the most yeah, important thing it's not like it's not like racism against more oppressed minorities exactly like, like I'm fine not I'm not losing people. anything because of anti-semitism like yes I've had unpleasant experiences but totally fine, you know versus totally. like actual racism and you know homophobia and misogyny and stuff like that but back like you were talking about the frat culture of like today my brother's 22 and he graduated from Princeton last year and we're very very different and uh he embraced I I I talk you know I see myself as like fourth generation Brooklyn Jew first generation Manhattan I'm the first Manhattan kid yeah. Um, and I was the first one assimilated into like, you know, New York City society at all. Yeah, like no, my parents totally. yeah. were bo- like, I was born on Union Square. And um, I was I went to like, you know, the school with like, I went to school with Dustin Hoffman's kids like, yeah. um, and my brother was born 13 years later, uh-huh. when all of that was resolved. So like, I had I was assimilated in like a really traumatizing way, you know, like it was fucked and it's why I am the way I am. Like I didn't gel with any of it. It was like, I do my heavy duty Orthodox Judaism stuff after school and on weekends. And then I'd like go to school. Your family was Orthodox. So, I mean, this is like a weird conversation because people think Orthodox is like, like because conservative and reform exist, like we say Orthodox, but like, I'm not Hasidic, like, yeah, but you weren't totally, you were like I, a modern Orthodox. Family. Yeah. Like I'm a regular, like we grew up on first union square and then like Upper East side, like we're regular people, but my dad's from Bensonhurst and like Your my dad, whole family's. Did they keep kosher? Oh yeah. I mean, I never had pork in my life. Um, yeah. Yeah. like I don't eat cheeseburgers. Um, I eat shrimp, but like, yeah. you know, you gotta, you gotta um, drive, you know, <laughs> hey, if it was good enough for UGK, it's good enough for me. Yeah, know? there you go. <laughs> but like, I, I had a heavy duty, you know, like prop, my bar mitzvah was like, like no one, I didn't invite anyone. I did the whole service. It was bar, I, actually, I would have guessed your bar mitzvah would have been super cracking. So we did two. <laughs> one had, yeah. uh, like one was like in Bensonhurst at the place my grandfather was bar mitzvahed and like that it was like you know big it was like you know uh three generations not four my great great grandfather had died but um it was heavy it was like i did the whole thing it was like a day and i think six people that i knew came because it was like i i just these were separate lives for me you know um but i can do my haftorah like right now um and like i speak spanish from when i was 12 and i could do my haftorah today um, oh, funny! Both at the same time. I learned Spanish and I learned my Haftorah at the same time. I never yeah. thought about that. I I uh, I wish I knew more about my. I forgot all that. I I, I I was a Hebrew school dropout, and I had a really amazing man who was my tutor. Right, so I was like a pretty good student. But then like the prospect, and I was like a jock. But then like the prospect of another layer of like 
schooling was way too much for me. And then I just like, was like the biggest. Oh, asshole. I hated it so much. I hated, I hated it. I was like the biggest asshole. And I went to like, I was like, I'm not going on Sunday. So I went to like a Tuesday satellite campus in Westwood. And then like, I just, it was too much. I dropped out at a private tutor. Amazing. Yeah, it was awful. Dude, I did it. I did it like five days a week for years. It was fucking oh. awful. Oh, that's and that's, I played baseball after school. So I did baseball and Hebrew school. I, it was it was ridiculous. And I was trying to figure you need like out a, a like a golden star. <laughs> it was ridiculous. <laughs> no, for real. Like it was like I was bouncing around from like school that I hated to baseball that was actually like the only thing I liked to Hebrew. It was terrible. And yeah, like, but I didn't fit. It didn't fit for me, but it fit for my brother. And my brother, by the time he was born, he had like, everything was like solid. Like we were like part of the society at that point when we were just like emerging into it when I was born. So my brother was born, was just like super comfortable with white people shit where I wasn't. And like my brother's white and I'm a Jew. It's, it's really like, it's that It's an interesting thing where I feel like it, it's like this it's like this personal ethnicity thing where i imagine how like i imagine if you're like hungarian or polish or something uh -huh. you know what i mean it's like there's a, a series of customs where it's like you're right like and like i like i'm like jews are obviously like i had this conversation with with the people from tablet um and you know what it was like look like i was talking about like white privilege and i was like uh -huh. have i benefited from white privilege of course i'd be the first of person course, to yes. that. jews as white people it's a shifting thing right where it's right. like jews were like not white people until maybe the 60s, 50s or 60s. And then it's been like a path of a gradual assimilation. But at yeah. the same time, even though you benefit from white privilege, it's like a white ethnic thing where you're, you like, you don't necessarily fit in with whatever the Anglo-Saxon, you know, rituals are. Like, you know what I mean? It's like- We get invited, but we don't feel okay there. So that was my experience. Yeah. I got invited. I was really good at okay. baseball and that was my entree into white society. I was six and I played with the eight-year-olds and that set off the rest of my, you know, my school. I, I played, I lived with those kids for another 15 years until, you know, or whatever that is, 10 years. Um, and I was invited to the older kids, you know, New Year's Eve party, but I felt like, a, I felt so weird at it. And yeah. my brother just vibed with it. And he was, he was one of those people and I wasn't. So I, so you and I, we were like invited to it, but yeah, felt exactly. something weird and just like, never could be okay with that. That same thing happened to me when I was like my roommate, you probably know a bunch of these, you know, mutual friends, but like my roommates in college were like entertainment industry kids. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was like, Oh, I'm an entertainment industry kid. Like these are the, we're the, we're the, we're the mafia, you know, yeah. super weird to me. And I never felt okay with it. It took a long time. And my brother gels with it really well and always fit in. And the, the, I, I, roundabout but like the racism of today is fucked like crazy racism around my brother and and his friends and the frats and stuff yeah like one black kid who came to the birthday party that i met and they sat him next to me because like i'm the one who knows how to talk to black people like it was super weird that i was like oh you sat this one black person next to me at the 30 person dinner and everyone else is white did you was this an, how did that happen like you know it was very weird i was like did someone intentionally sit the black person next to me because it was very weird and yeah. um but women my brother is not like like in terms of just back, back to what you said like 10 minutes ago like about you know masculinity 
Yeah. My brother's not like I'm very uncomfortable with the the racism with with his friends, yeah. but I don't see like women being abused by these kids. Yeah, I, I don't I think, think so. I, I, I don't think know, about, but I don't think so. I was thinking about it a lot, right? Because I wrote those Britney and Eminem pieces. Yeah, and, like yeah. I was just thinking about that era of like Maxim magazine and like Stuff magazine and like a- a- FHM and Gear, uh-huh. and like now I look back and I'm like, yeah, that was weird. <laughs> like that was like super weird. That was like weird. <laughs> like I, I don't like I. I bought some of them. I didn't have a subscription to any of them, but like I definitely I had a subscription. Like, you know what I mean? Like you had a subscription? Yeah. I yeah. Mean, to like, Maxim. I was at the Maxim party this year also, by the way, like three months <laughs> I ago. Mean, I'm not like here to like be some kind of scold, but at the same time, like it's fucking weird. It's weird it's today weird. also, by the way. It's just weird, right? Looking back on history when you're like, you know, it's like here here's Jessica Beale. <laughs> like it's, uh, oh, by the way, you know the story about that? I uh, know. That's wild that you just, of all the people, that gear, uh, Bob Guccione, Jessica Biel spread is like super controversial. Like really? she, she, you could read what she said about it. I remember exa- her sitting in the sink, right? Like it was think, yeah, the I most think, I mean, iconic. I, I had a real crush on Jessica Biel in like Yo, 1998. Yeah. We all, yes. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, her sitting in the sink and there, it was, it was like an iconic shoot. And she spoke out years later that it was like, she felt raped basically. Like, really? and it was, it's the only shoot that you see these parts of her and uh, ever. And she talks about it and she just felt like really, really manipulated yeah. Um, yeah. And it, and it's like a legendary like, shoot, but I, well, I think it's good now where at least like, if you want to, I mean, like now, like, I think it's good that the means of control are now in the hands of women where if they want to do an only fans, like, you know what I mean? Like if you want to do an only fans, yeah, fuck yeah. Cool, only fans, like you can make the money yourself and you don't have to like have this weird, like sketchy magazine and like weird photographer intermediary, like uh-huh. most of the money anyways, and you can control the image. And I'm like doing it. episodes with friends coming up like straight up about their OnlyFans. Yeah. Like, I mean, like girls who have big OnlyFans accounts. Like I'm yeah, just, I'm, ha- I'm doing episodes literally about that. Yeah, I'd like totally like to write about it. It's, a, it's an interesting world. Like I'm, I, I know very little about it, honestly. Not to, not to be like, oh, like I've just never, you know, I, I respect it. It's just, I, I've never subscribed to an OnlyFans. I don't really know how. I've actually works. never subscribed to an OnlyFans, but I have enough exposure to it. So when I lived in LA, um, I get the gist, I think. Yeah. Yeah, you get the gist. But I learned this world when I moved to LA. The first thing that happened in my life, and I don't mind talking about this, I don't really care, is like, uh, I was like kind of professionally, I had professional focus and momentum, uh-huh. which made my personal focus and momentum like non-existent. It was just like everything was like my work and I just didn't give a fuck about anything else. And then I like learned of this like arrangement culture and I wanted to learn about it. So I went on seeking arrangement and I like, I had an account and I went out with a ton of people. There's like a lot of, there's artists that you know, that like I met at that time through this. Like I was like early days the main, I was like right before the mainstreaming of Seeking Arrangement and it was fucking an incredible, it was such a cool time. I I met. I've heard of Seeking Arrangement. It's just, it's a website that you, you know, Sugar Daddy website. Oh, okay. 
And, you know, I just was like clear, like in my profile, I was like, I'm not here to like, you know, hire an escort or anything, but like, I'm interested in this world. And like, if anyone, you know, with no strings attached, like, and I had a lot of really cool, um, I I, I have good friends now from this. Um, And the second thing that happened was I threw a party uh, called Reunion that my partner was dating like a very famous porn star. And all those girls, like all the Pornhub and kink.com girls would come to our party every week. And um, I, I learned about a lot of it from them. And I started dating one, that girl's roommate who was like, had a whole alter ego online on Tumblr yeah. as this like, like she, she was this like four foot 11 girl who wore big glasses and a hoodie and a backwards hat and yeah. sweatpants and then had an alter ego on Tumblr of like, uh huge following and shit where she was like she was never like fully naked but like you know just like she was like a sex object yeah but to me she was like a little brother it was so weird that's yeah but i learned about all that shit from them the the internet is (laughs) yeah it it, undefeated (laughs) yeah it's that was like it's so man you'll you'll have so such a good perspective diving in and comparing it to hip hop culture also because hip hop culture is right next to it. You know, when you talk about the ideas about like me too is a thing, but we're still rapping about bitches and hoes and all of that. Like, and that's, I, I, yeah, I don't, I, 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 I feel with hip hop, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Cause it's like, it's weird for me as like a white guy to police the language of mm-hmm. like, young black kids that come from a different sociological you know what i mean socioeconomic environment and like so it just is so i i've always tried to kind of evaluate i suppose on its own terms where it's like it, it's hard i think sometimes when you when you do the critical lens right because I was, I was doing this eminem piece which is obviously different because he's a white rapper but mm-hmm. all the language around it right and like you know he's calling women all sorts of names and at the time you know it's like you think about it it's like 20 years ago I think we think we're in this new, more enlightened era. But to be fair, like Eminem was pretty criticized heavily, you know, for language against women, gay people. Um, And I don't know. It it was different, I suppose, with Eminem because he is like white and that sort of, it it raises like different questions. I mean, which are difficult to kind of like assess, I I would say. But I don't know. Like, it's like, it's it's always been like a weird question. It's like, have you listened to the rapper Sugar Free? I'm not sure. So Sugar Free is like one of my favorite rappers of all time, right? He's okay. from Pomona. He's like, he like legitimately was a pimp. He was DJ Quick's like kind of like artist for a while. And they made okay. this classic album in 1997 called Street Gospel. Okay. And he's a pimp. Like he was a pimp like straight up until like 2007, 2008. Went to jail for it. Like oh, wow. that's how he made his money. And he says some pretty foul shit on record, but he's also like an incredible artist. And it's sort of like all in the service of like comedy. You know what I mean? Where it's like, where it's like- well, you talked in your article about Eminem acknowledging that he's playing a character and he's like, do you really think I put my mother in a trunk? You know, all that stuff. Like, I think that's important, right? Like where it's like, if you, I think that's a difference, right? Where it becomes art, right? Where there is a line between this character you're playing on record versus like, I'm just a bad person. And then conversely, it's like, I don't know, like where, I think about this a lot, honestly, because it's like, you know, the, 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 for lack of a better word, I don't like the phrase. Nobody likes the phrase cancel culture, right? It's like- mm-hmm. Where are the lines? I mean, like, obviously, if you're a sexual, like, a, a prominent, like, a real sexual abuser, a rapist, you know, 
you should be you should be shunned and condoned conversely like what about people that have like regular just like not not that extreme but like just behave badly not mm -hmm. in a way that's like criminal or it's it kind of just like kind of like fratty shit where you're just like Ugh, not I like think that's not, what not like a yeah. huge difference between you know uh, us in our 30s and my brother in his early 20s uh -huh. the uh like my friends especially over the last few years like i think our generation is more capable of I, this is like rough like i think we're just like rapier you know like <laughs> I, my uh, friends uh, i've I mean, gotten I in weird I, fights I hope that kids are getting better. That would make me happy. It's like, you know, that I think they're more offended by things that I find. I've had a few, there's, there's things. They're not in buying, porn. Well, the good thing is they're not buying like stuff magazine. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. But like, they know that porn is, I think now, like they know that porn is porn and they, yeah. like, I thought when we were younger, like, like 10 years ago, I was worried that like kids learning about sex through porn means like everything is going to be throat fucking. But I yeah. think that like the, the inverse effect might have happened and they realized like, oh, this is another thing. There's like a layer of artifice to it. Right. Yeah. And I have friends who like talk about it. Yeah. It's like our friends got influenced by it more than my brother's friends did. That's and That's I didn't expect that. I thought that we were going to be to it was like my brother's friends were young enough to know that they had time to evolve uh -huh. as as masculine as men but our friends saw it and looked at these guys and were like i can't fuck like him i have to fuck like him i'm less than if i can't fuck like him i don't have time to be somebody else so i have to learn to do this and i have i don't know i have a lot of single male friends in my life like i don't vibe with the masculinity of many of my single male friends at this stage yeah. in my life i yeah. vibe with you know i have married friends and i'm generally cool with them some of them you know are cheaty and all that shit and that sucks but whatever like but most of my single male friends either have issues with like not think you know just like weird insecurity weird re post-rejection time issues where they just will like juggle a million girls to make up for the fact that they were rejected when they, you know, up until they were 27 or something. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then there's the guys who are like, are, you know, desired, they're good looking, they have jobs and they just like, they're like the throat fucky kind of guys. And I'm sorry to say it in, that, in such a, such a vulgar way, but like, yeah, they're just like, I have friends literally like brag to me about things like that. And I'm just like, Oh, it's just, like, why do you think this is an okay conversation? What did I do I, I try to, to open that door? Naive, which, like, you know what I mean? Where it's like, I'm always, like, shocked. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm yeah. like, whoa. I don't, like, I'm like, hey, I don't want to know anything about you. <laughs> and it's like, maybe that's bad on me. But I just, I, I'm always, I get, I guess, like, John's always like, what the fuck? I hear something it's about, like, you know, I'll be like, what? <laughs> like, that's like, I mean, I've had, like, I've known people, you know, where, like, they've, like, been not close friends but like you know like acquaintances or something and like there'll be something about sexual misconduct and i'll be like what like i'm yeah. always like and, and like people are like you didn't know and i'm like no like i you know what i mean like i i don't like i just don't get into those conversations with people and oh, like, no, i've totally like seen things come out that i was like yeah i'm positive that's true like i've yeah. seen a lot of it and yeah. i don't know i usually so well i mean it's always the case where like look it's like two people are accusing you of the same thing like 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah you're probably guilty. You know, there was like, one yesterday that came out that I know for a fact is not true, by the way. I'll wait, tell you that it? after we, okay. we get All off because right. I don't want to, I can't, I can't say publicly how I know, but I, I know, and I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you off, offline. But yeah, the, the, the trending hip hop story of yesterday is totally not true. The one care. that trended on Twitter. There was one that trended on Twitter that was oh, okay. about a pair of individuals meeting oh, in a certain I way. Oh, no, no, no. All I have a Doja Cat story also, I can tell you, but uh, that's not a personal story. <laughs> all I know about Doja Cat is that that Noriega tweet about she posting feet in racial chat rooms is one of That's the great sentences so, I've ever. So wow, <laughs> that, she that, seems amazing. She seems that, like the coolest. Doja Cat, I'm like, I'm like, you're just like a level of eager. Like I just don't, like I'm like I am old now. Like, oh yeah, I no, I don't relate to any of it. I can just like see it from afar and just be like the level of activity in this person is just like I, she's so wild. I'm like, I'm just like, yeah, I just I'm like. Like you must have been like a really nerdy person. Like, why are you? I kept going on it. I'm like, what is going on? Like, why, why? Why are you in these rooms? Like, how bored were you? Like, I just like everything now. Like, I know I'm just becoming old because I'm just like, why can't people read books? <laughs> like, like, no, she sits on. She sits at home on her phone and like, like does this shit all day. To yeah, get books. <laughs> like, yeah. It's my, like that's my new. That's my mantra. Is like, I'm like, oh dude, hell yeah. You know, like. I say it all the time. I'm just like, yo, like stop, like to DJs, like yeah. stop doing your fucking DJ live stream and just like, you know, go live reading a book maybe to your audience. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> just like that, I'd be like, I'd love to do that. Like my Andy Kaufman bit where I'm just like reading like, like arcane, like LA history books and like, well, did you know this? You know, I'm doing episodes on here where I read four, four followers. I'd have like four followers. I'd like play some but, rap. <laughs> but yo, that's dope. Like if you're going to read, Read with four people. Yeah, read it. Totally. I think it's awesome. Yeah, totally. I don't know why people don't do it more. Yeah, I'm going to start doing much more episodes of like chapters from books that I love. So, uh, yeah, that would be that would be good. I would be down with that. I think I've been. Have you read anything good in the uh, quarantine? I read so much. Um, I just gave away one of my Kathy Acker books that I have here. I'm in Mexico in the middle of nowhere, so I like get what I get. But yeah, I have my Kindle. Um. I read like three or four great film noirs. I'd say the Elliot Chase one is the best. Um, City, I'm looking around my room. City of Quartz, no, really? which is I'm like reading, I'm reading the, the LA book. I just, I'm writing a story about Mike Davis actually right now. Oh, wow, cool. Well, we got to talk about that then. Um, you know, when, uh, when it's done. Uh, Dr. John, autobiography, oh, really? House I of just, Leaves. That's funny. I have that in my, on my nightstand. Amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a great book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I bought it when I was in New Orleans, actually. Another like, Kathy Acker, House of Leaves, Mark Danielewski, which has been on my, like, to-do list for years. It's incredible. Um, Milan Kundera, Immortality, which is, like, whew, just everything is so smart. Uh, Jean Genet, Thief's Journal. Uh, I'm reading the Mark Rothko Journal, the essays. Um, I'm reading Natasha Stagg's new book, because she's coming on the show later this week. Um in she, I think it's like issue like 17 or something of semi text. Uh, she's so smart. It's all like New York stuff. Um, Willie Nelson biography, autobiography, um, which is great. Um, what else have I been? I mean, I've, there's like 10 more probably. Um, the Woody Allen book. 
I read I read it. How was it? I hear it's not that good. I mean, well, like you can't really trust like anything about that because everyone is so loaded with their opinions of it. Like I read the Entertainment Weekly thing. Mark Harris just like trashed it. And it was yeah. like the most biased, like fucked up. Like I like don't want Mark Harris ever again because of this. Not to defend Woody Allen at all. I don't really care about defending Woody Allen. Yeah. Just defending like lack of bias in bullshit, you know? Yeah. Like, he I just mean, went off on how, 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 how much of a snake he is and how disgusting he is. And it's like, dude, like nothing has to do anything with this book that you're talking about. And like, yeah. Uh, although, I mean, I heard from like people like that. It wasn't that good that read it, but like the reviews, right. Where it's like, whether the person is a good or a bad person, like you yeah. can review the art on its terms and what it aspires to do. And like, you can have a couple, it's like, I don't know, it's like the Eminem piece, I was like, look like, you can't not acknowledge it, but like at the same time, like, it also like, then don't review it, then just ignore yeah, it. Yeah, exactly, like what's the point of, of what you're writing, you know, like, we don't need you here to just say, don't do this, this is trash, like, we don't, we don't need that. You probably you know, that's not... make more people want to read it if you, right. you know, people, like, people want to read things or, or listen to things that are like banned, that's just, that's just human, that's the Pandora's yeah. box impulse of people. We want like, what we can't have, yeah. Yeah, it's like why Eminem, like every time they would criticize Eminem, like not to, you know, or title the creator, same thing, you know, it's like. It was the biggest PR he ever got, yeah. He was a genius, yeah. He knew, he like, he studied Eminem. His, he had the same marketing manager as Eminem. Yeah. It was his manager. And they, they knew that like, and like joke was on everybody else because Tyler and, and like a lot of other people in Odd Future were like, you know, the most, you know, I mean, they were like, I, I don't know even what the phrase is, but I mean like, they, they definitely did not, uh, they did not apply to the, uh, you know, they were not exactly heteronormative. And like, you know, even though they were saying all these things, you know, they, they, there was, I mean, talk about art and artifice, you know, like, and Odd Future kind of, now look, everyone looked back and like, they were just like freaking out. And it was clearly, kids understood that though. I think, I don't think people understood exactly what a troll was when Eminem came out and it sort of was codified by the time Tyler did. But you uh -huh. could never really tell. And that was that was part of the art, I think, with Early Odd Future was like, are they joking? Are they for real? And I don't know, ironically, I think the best stuff, I mean, my favorite album of last year was Igor. I thought that was incredible. You know, thought it was- I guess they bridged that moment of like when troll culture became- Became mainstream. Yeah. Yeah, I think Tyler was the last, I, I the last artist that anyone could say shocked them necessarily, right? Like, I don't know if- I mean, Eminem might have been, but like Tyler, I don't know if there's been anything that's been like really as controversial as in the last decade since Odd Future came out. I mean, that was like 2011, 2010. You know, that's been a long time. You know, I don't know. You would know better than me, honestly. Yeah. I would have to rack my head You're a little. Post apocalyptic times, post show. Yeah. You know. Um, but like my quick summary of the Woody Allen is oh, just yeah. like, um, first half is pretty it's full of great like real revelations like it's really it's it's a great read uh if you i'm i'm a brooklyn kid you know like yeah and talking about brooklyn is like like all his brooklyn stuff i was like sending my dad like all the little clips and um he didn't read it so i was sending him like all the little bits of like king's plaza and shit and like it's cool he remembers it like it was yesterday and it's really beautiful the way that he speaks about it um and then, yeah, halfway through the book, he gets into Mia Farrow and it just hijacks like like his his awkwardness with the situation hijacks the rest of the book. Yeah, uh, he takes maybe like 
a quick, you know, half hour <laughs> break from it and then goes back to it to wrap up the book. Um, like he, he like summarizes like two decades worth of movies yeah. in a very quick amount of pages comparatively with the first half of the book. Um, yeah. Cause he just like, can't wait to get back to Mia Farrow and it becomes, it's a slog at that point. It's just like, Oh man, like I only care so much about this. There's part it, for a little while. It's, it's revelatory because the perspective is really valid, but then it just like, he makes sure it's the kind of thing. It's very much, it's like, you wrote that letter to your ex and you didn't edit it. Like you, you wrote it, you didn't wait till the morning to reread it. And you got, you just, you couldn't resist getting all the points in, you know, you had to get all the points in. You couldn't just yeah. summarize anything. So he has like chapters that are like yeah. that extra he thing. Has multiple chapters on it. Half the book. Oh yeah, that he should have. So, that should be a separate book then. You know what I mean? Like it, he, literally, he, there or, should be two books. He yes. should have just been like two books and like yes. fun. Like here's your defense, but like at the end of the day, like you yes. know, if he wrote two books, they could have been two great books. Him. And more likely, I think a lot of people will just be like, no one will ever know. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it, it like, and I don't know. I, I was a bit. I mean, Woody Allen's really complicated for me because I, I he was like my favorite film director. Yeah. You know, like I loved all of his stuff and you know i don't know it's like there it, he's always you know if there's a taint on it for sure but I, I you know i still i still can watch a woody allen you know what i mean like i still can watch a woody i i don't know like you ever see what's new pussycat i've seen all of them yeah yeah like i've even like, seen I mean, i've I, even I, I, seen I, I, rainy day in new york yeah yeah like i mean I, rainy until, day in new york sucks by the way which is that the new one mm-hmm yeah, I, I think the last one I liked was Cafe Society. I thought that was pretty good, actually. Yeah, I mean... A charming little, a charming little trifle. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they're, they're like... They got lighter for the last... I don't know. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a weird time to assess art. And I guess it's a conversation we're always going to have. But it's like, I, I, you know, it's like, look, I, I don't begrudge anyone for not, for not liking him and, and, and obviously, you know, believing the allegations. Like, you know, there's... There, if you read up on it, like there's there's compelling arguments both. You know, it's like Moses Farrow's thing is art. You know, uh, but Dylan or Dylan, I think is her name or her account is harrowing and and you know it, it's just it's just I mean it's a sad situation either way. I mean it's a fucked up situation. Yeah, but and at the same time, like I don't know, yeah, like will I still Farrow love, shit like, makes it even more complicated. Like, like love like, and death, but like at the same time, I'm like love and death is like such a profound, funny. Yeah. movie i don't know how i can necessarily like I, I i guess i'm saying like i think people need to have a little more like if people want to enjoy something like people should be allowed to enjoy something i think like you know what i mean it's like i'm I, all I, i'm all on it like i think yeah. it's fucking stupid i think it's I like, just yeah people who are like i will boycott like art it. because the person like i have mine comp on my in my apartment in new york <laughs> I have, uh, <laughs> I have it, I have it out. No, in I the would kitchen. read it too. I would read it too. It's literally, it's, it's when you walk into my house, I have like a mantle with like, it's like three shelves that go up to the ceiling and I have a bunch of books That's one of those on things them. you can only get away with as a Jew. <laughs> you can be like, shut up, I'm Jewish. There was a Holocaust. We suffered. <laughs> but know? they're all there. All these books are there as like, so I have it next to Karl Ove Knausgaard's, uh, Min Kampf, my struggle. He, yeah. do you know who Karl Ove Knausgaard is? 
Yeah, wasn't that the fillet? He was riffing on Nazca, right? Wasn't that the Yeah, the he wrote book? six he wrote six uh, six books that are like 4000 pages on his life and yeah. uh he'd finished it 5 years ago or something. Um they're great. It's it's an exercise in like autofiction or whatever you want to call it, uh, but it's memoir. Um yeah. and uh yeah, and he 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 wrote. I think, I think you know. Else. Yeah, but yeah, go. Oh, on. oh yeah. sure. I, 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 I've now now that you mentioned that it's yes, a Norwegian I'm, writer who right, wrote these it, memoirs okay. that are read. like insanely detailed about him, his life. Like he's not. He's just a regular. He's like a novelist, and he was like kind of successful, but like Almost nothing like kind of or something. Where it's like just my life. Yeah. Yes, and he just went in way further than anyone else ever did before. Like we we had memoirs and stuff for regular people that would be like you know three hundred pages or something. But like he wrote like fucking he just did it for decades, and it's like literally he'll whatever. But but he gets to the end and he goes in on he talks about Hitler throughout, and uh, he goes he writes an essay in the middle of the fifth book out of six. Uh, he just like goes off for, you know, for 500 pages wow. on Hitler. And um, sounds like a feel good read of the summer. <laughs> oh my God. It's definitely not, but uh, it, it's a winter read. <laughs> um, but I, I am just, gloom has hit me. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I'm big on the like art has value, you know, I, 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 here's the thing like you know I you one of the most in, there was a man named Herb Gold who I wrote this big story in the beat generation and I, I talked to all these like brilliant you know nonagenarians octogenarians about you know their life and the writing and like the beat cool. generation coming up and it was like one of those things where it was like so fundamental for me as a writer to get to meet these people and soak up wisdom and Herb Gold was is a, I'm friends with his son he's a musician named Ethan Gold a really talented musician and he um you know, he introduced me to him. I've been friends with him for like, you know, he's kind of a mentor almost to me. And I asked him once, and I mean, this guy knew, every, Herb Gold knew, I mean, every great 20th century writer, James Baldwin, Nabokov, Vladimir Nabokov liked him. He was close with Saul Bellow, Philip Roth, wow. everyone, like Joan Didion. I mean, you knit Henry Miller, every writer he has a story for. It's unbelievable. Like, you know, Super and cool. I asked him, I go, were any of them good people? <laughs> and he goes, only Kurt Vonnegut. <laughs> wow and you know what like that makes sense to me like probably only Kurt Vonnegut was and I guess my point of it is it's like unfortunately like, most of the best like th there is find me an artist that didn't have a fucked up upbringing yeah. you know and the way that they process trauma and, not, and this is and, and that is okay that doesn't necessarily absolve the artist of their sins but it's acknowledging a deeper more complicated morality where it's like hey Bad people can create good things. And you know what? A lot of good people have done terrible things. Like, I don't know anybody that has, who's good who hasn't done a bad thing. So it's like, yes, of course, there's, there's a line, right? Where it's like, yes, if you are like, I mean, what would we do about the Marquis de Sade today? We like pre our problematic fave, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> like right. GQ mag, like, you know. Uh, totally, I know. Like, we all love him, but he It's like, yeah, the Marquis de Sade versions by the hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> You know, goth. Systematically. <laughs> He's bringing leather back. <laughs> you, know, yeah. like, you know, it's like, what do you do? You know, it's like, what do you do? Nah, I think that? people are just, uh, it's very, you know, it's, it's all down to the very simple, like, I think it's, you know, attributed to F. Scott's, uh, sorry, F. Scott Fitzgerald. 
intelligence is holding two ideas in your head at the same quote. time and you know that's it like, it's life. very it, simple <laughs> it is the best quote anyone has yeah. ever said and it is the, it is it's just we live the, in a dualistic universe and it's multiples it's multitudes whatever it's on we're, we're on an infinite set of spectrums and we go like this and we change and we shift and sometimes we're light and dark and we're not light without dark and yeah that's just yeah that's it <laughs> yeah it, i mean it's i mean it's the one problem that american society has probably always lack but certainly lacks right now it just like it doesn't there but i mean it's like weird right because then like the republicans have sort of like kind of not to shift dramatically but it's like mm. it's that both sides mentality where yeah. then you have to like it's like it's that but then it's also like well also like looming fascism doesn't get its side you know what i mean oh, yeah. Where you're like, yeah and like i feel like that's where we're at right now where it's like i like it's like the people that are like trying to find like the truth between both and i'm not saying like the, the left is always right but like there's not much to negotiate with on the right right now you know what i mean like they these are not fair terms like you're not arguing over like marginal income tax rates you know what i mean like you're arguing over like babies in concentration camps and you're just like Ugh. but you know it's, yeah well this is this is a that's its own episode and i almost don't <laughs> totally, even want totally. to yeah, go we won't go there like, yeah can you <laughs> That never ends. That never ends and there's no answers. Flat out. Like, say, yeah. Of course, like, I'm ob- like, look at me. I'm obviously, like, sitting out here on the left. But, like, you know, I, I just, um, I, pr- I-, I-, I give great, great, great emphasis and weight, heft to not, like, I-, I-, I hate my liberal friends just as much as I hate my Republican friends, you know? I hate them like, less. But I still hate them often. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I probably, I yeah, I definitely caucus with them. You know? But. Yeah. Like if I could take one or the other, like if my vote had to go one or the other, if that were any substance, if that had any substance, if that made any difference, you know, I would, I would let the left. I would want. I would prefer the left to lead. But yeah. I think the left is just as destructive as the right in their own. Like, th- it's not the same. It's not, like, on paper as bad. The left but tends we... to be more self-destructive than the right. Yeah, exactly. Like, we'll do yeah. dumb shit that will well, lead it's, to It's progress. like the Biden thing, like, is kind of a perfect example. Where I'm like, look, I don't like Joe Biden. Like, nobody yeah. likes Joe Biden. Nobody is amped about It's so Joe weird Biden. that that's like, our candidate. frustrated that this is the nominee. But, like, you have, on the right, like, it's like, I, and I get it. Like, you know, like, I was talking to a friend earlier today, and he's like, well, Joe Biden will still drone, you know, innocent you know, Middle Eastern children. I'm like, yes, you're right. That is a bad. Obama did that too. It is a bad. But like, here's like the real evil goon. Like, this yeah. is like, this is the final Ganon boss. Like, let's focus on defeating the fa- final boss. Oh yeah, I'm in and the then, nev- like, I'm in the never Trump the party. I, I felt the same way about Hillary, honestly. Yeah. I was in, I was, you know, like, my brother worked for Kamala at that time and we were at the inauguration for Kamala thinking that we were going to be in the, you know, LA's hottest Hillary party. And it was very awkward. It was a terrible night, obviously, but um, yeah, but like I was always, I was wearing my Hillary shirt that day. Um, I remember me and me, my mom and DJ Khaled posted pictures that morning from Beverly Hills hotel pole. (laughs) Like this is the, I, I don't know how it's such a hot take, but I, I think Hillary got a bad rap. I like I, I honestly like I like people I'll be like I liked Hillary. Like, yeah, like she had flaws and there's a lot of fucked up things. Yeah, no, I mean I would have been thrilled with her as president. Ned, I just look, didn't well, really give a right, fuck. I just wanted this, no Trump. 
it's the total exactly right it's the it's the two things in your head where like yes there can be good things to say like everyone like everything that people on the left say bad about hillary like i tend to agree with right like Mm -hmm. i'm not like gonna be like she's this like shining beacon of light that everything she did was right but like at the same time like I don't know, like I watched the Hulu documentary. I'm like, she's obviously a very smart, capable woman who oh, went yeah. through no doubt. went through incredible adversities to get where she was. Yeah. And like, yes, did she make like strategic and, and political mistakes? Yeah, many of them. Yeah. But does it like, like doesn't mean that like she probably would have been a good president. Like at the end I, of the day. I would have loved it. I was all in. Yeah. I was like, all in on I'm with her. I was wearing my shirt that like if you look back yeah, to November fifth, cool I was wearing the shirt. Yeah. And I posted pictures. I posted morning breakfast victory photos with my mom and DJ Khaled. And boy, did they not age well. <laughs> yeah. I like, I, yeah, totally. I mean, like, look, like, I, the thing is, like, I, I think, like, on the left, like, you have to kind of, like, you have to, I mean, it's like Obama said something. Like, it's like, you have to sometimes make peace with people that you, you, you mostly agree with. You know what I mean? And it's like, nobody, everyone wants, like, a complete, like, ideology. Like, I don't know. I, it's just it's it's a weird it's a weird time where it's like look like i think most people wanted whether it was most like smart people i knew wanted whether it was bernie or warren right like most of the people i knew wanted one of those two candidates to to win yeah. right there would have been passion in, or in the party with either of those so, totally right like i'm, I'm I, well, I didn't know many people that were a big fan of clomentum but sure. um it's fine like if it's like i, I interviewed mike davis right it's a perfect example right perfect segue to mike davis right I interviewed Mike Davis right after Biden like swept through and like it was clear he was going to be the nominee. And I would have expected someone like Mike Davis, who, as far as I'm concerned, the two smartest people I've, enter- I've ever interviewed were the beat poet Gary Snyder and Mike Davis. Wow. Those to me are like, I-, I met them and I was like, well, that is what genius looks like. You are fucking genius. And, you know, not to say everything they said was right. I got to get Mike Davis on the show then. Shit. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, got to finish the book and then. Yeah. It's a tough get, but yeah, you can get it. He- he's around. He's around. Um, and we're doing a big land interview for the next issue of the land. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, you know, we're talking and he was like, well, like now this is the perfect time for like the, you know, the progressive movement because you have Biden right where he needs your support. Uh-huh. So it's the Bernie and the Warren supporters to kind of team up and really force Biden into the most progressive plank possible for a Democrat. And you're like, oh, you know, and it's like, I talked to another friend who Haley, who, you know, um, uh, from our the trip mm-hmm. and, you know, she's like, she agreed. She was like, you know, anybody who's been an activist and in, in, in the movement for a long time understands that like you can't necessarily always be ideological pure because you are working on a day-to-day basis. You are fighting these battles. And it's like, I, I'm totally sympathetic with anyone who is mad about Biden being the nominee. I mean, like, I don't know anyone who's stoked about Biden, you know, but it is what it is. And like, I feel like in life sometimes, I, I mean, I don't know, like getting older, like I feel like the most, more often choice you're presented with in life is what is the best of two bad options sure. you know like you know it's like and i you know as you said that it's funny i completely agree with like part of my i'd say that started for me when i moved to los angeles i started that was in the end of 2014 and i that was when I like kind of became an adult and i started making a lot of decisions that formed like my my you know my structure and a lot of those decisions were like, there were, there were a bunch of moments where it was like, pick the best of two that you don't love. And then there were things that I was like, nope, burn it to the ground and build the one that you need because that's yeah. what matters. And then the rest of it is pick them, you know? It's, it's basically like pick the things that are like, you know what, fuck this, I'm gonna burn it all 
because life is, it's, it's not worth being alive if you're not going to build the house exactly as you want to live in it. And then everything else though, like, fuck it, whatever, you know? So yeah, a lot, I mean, a lot like, of decisions yeah. like that have come for me where it's like, I'm going to make the song exactly the way that I want. And then like, I don't really give a fuck who the manager is, you know, like the manager's got to make sure like yeah, my distributor like, for the upcoming the shit is like, whatever, you know? That's the beauty of, of like art is I think you kind of can sort of, that's like one of the few places where you can find that sort of like purity that everyone, like, whereas like life, like purity is often kind of a bad thing. Like you can uh-huh. put it in the line, but like in I've art- held myself back in many ways, I think if I look backwards and look at times where I needed things to be perfect and needed the person to be exact. I, I let a minor, minor difference derail something that would have been fine. You know? Oh, yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, and like, I like again, like I wrote something recently about like, but Outcast, right? And it was like everyone's like, well, Andre's so much better than Big Boy, and it's like, yeah, probably. Like, I love Big Boy, but would Outcast could not have been Outcast without that tape, right? So like, Outcast needed like Big Boy to kind of be that like tethering force, that grounding force for Andre mm-hmm. to kind of go off on these like flights of fancy. And like, that's yeah, like- Andre's yeah, the eclectic just, guy and Big Boy's just a really good rapper. Like a great, well, one of the I, best rappers. I, I think it was more than that. I think Big Boy was also a real artist. Sure. Two, he just kind of was more of a traditional salt of the earth kind of yeah, artist. Yeah, be- better, like, better way to say it, yeah. And we, and that's, I think a problem too with criticism in general is because we tend to- not reward, especially with rap criticism, I find where we tend to reward. Look, to pimp a butterfly, I, I not my favorite Kendrick album. I acknowledge it as a work of art. It's an interesting work of art, but that's like always the album where it has like these signifiers, right? Where it's like I am doing art. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, and here's why I'm doing art. And this is not a knock on to pimp a butterfly, right? Like, I'm just but versus. I remember like, the night it came out, and it was like this is hip hop art. Totally, and and like you're like everyone cool, okay, was, that is yeah. too, but like. A lot of, like, you know what to me was more art of Kendrick was Cartoons and Serial, the song with Gunplay. That to me was even better art. Or, I don't know, I think like, and this is not like it's- it's Jeff has a recent article about Kendrick, uh, not just Kendrick, but but a few different things, but like going into this deeper, so yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I just, I guess my point here is like that, you know, I think there's artists that are like like uh, this rapper Draco that I've been covering his trial for like- It's fine, I have a note to ask about Draco, yeah. Two years, yeah, he, and, but I think what he does is just as high art as anything that Kendrick does, but Will it does you tell have- Draco's story really, just like give the yeah, quick, yeah. Okay, you know, because like people listening, like, I don't know if they're gonna- Yeah, of course, but most people don't know who Draco yeah. is, which and, is- And you care about and, yeah, this a lot yeah. and you know this as well as anyone. Yeah. So, Draco's a rapper from South Central LA who uh, is 26 years old. He came up about five years ago. He was first kind of DJ Mustard. DJ Mustard kind of identified him. He had a little bit of buzz. DJ Mustard sort of put him on. They sort of had a falling out. But by that point, Draco kind of had a momentum. Put out a couple of mixtapes that like people kind of regard as classics. Uh, but it, it kind of hadn't spread beyond South Central Compton and Watts. It was pretty much no one north of the 10 freeway to hurt anything by him. But he was, he was a popular rising artist in, in, in those neighborhoods, right? Basically, he ends up getting arrested right after he puts out the second of these mixtapes. And I discover his music. I I discovered it before, but it clicked for me right around the time. And I wrote a post about how- Was this like 2015? This is 2017. Okay. He came out in 2015, but it was like really in 2016 was like his year. And then by 2017, he was like blowing up. And then he gets arrested. And uh, so I wrote a post about him. And somebody DMs me, they're like, hey, would you like to speak to Draco? I'm like, yeah, I'd love to. I had an LA Weekly column at the time, RIP. And uh, it, he, 
they're like, well, he's in jail. And I was like, hmm, that's weird. I'm like, all right, well, fuck it. I got to call him to Phil. I'm going to go to jail and, and meet this guy, right? Like, I think he's really uh, special. Right. Um, basically, he tell you know, I meet him in jail, you know, talking behind the thick glass, you know, on the phone, you know, Men's Central Jail, downtown Los Angeles. Seemed like an interesting, like, smart, kind of funny guy. It was obviously a very awkward conversation. I'm like this random-ass white dude being like, hey, like, tell me about who your influences are. Like, why are you in jail, <laughs> you know? And it basically was a weapons charge, right? The, it turned out the police had raided his house uh, and they found a bunch of guns. And he'd had one, I mean, he was a felon because he got caught with, with like prescription Xanax and they said they were trying to sell it. So like, you know how they, they, if you don't have the money for a good lawyer, they manipulate it. So all of a sudden, whether if a random white kid in Beverly Hills got knocked with some Xanax, they'd be like, yeah. you probably get the charges dropped and do some community service or something. But he got a felony, right? So he gets out of jail and this is a, uh, I guess early 2000, late, late 2019, he gets, no, this is late 2018, he gets out of jail. And I write this big, you know, hangout, he records this incredible album called Cold Devil. And the thing I'd say about Draco being really significant as an artist is he, he, he created an entirely new vocabulary, kind of similar to a ghost face or an E-40 or even a Snoop Dogg. Oh, wow. So he has this new slang and vernacular. Ghost face is my favorite. It's a lot like Ghostface is the way I describe it because it's all code, right? Like, and then, but it's like almost like E40 where there's certain words that keep on repeating in the, in, in the, 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 the lexicon that he's created for himself. And he does that, also these beats. So like he was rapping over kind of traditional DJ Mustard style beats that they kind of like almost reverse engineered whereas those were party music. This is like evil driving around people sh shooting me music. He called it nervous music. Mm -hmm. And that was why he was like, you know, he's like, what am I going to rap about? He's like, this is the kind of music I'd listen to where people are trying to kill me in a hundred thousand dollar car. And then on top of it, he also, I thought he was really original because um, he just like, he, he, he was like a, he was like a gangster rapper, but he wasn't a gangster. He just felt like a, like there was, I forgot what really, there was another thing that like, kind of like the three things that struck me about why he was such an original, but those are really the two hits. Oh, and his flow. He was rapping in a way that it sounded offbeat, but it wasn't. Kind of almost like how Sugar Free rapped so fast and like, or E-40 rapped so fast, but it's like, it's on beat, but off beat. But Draco was rapping kind of slow, almost like scraping against the side of the beat, finding these weird pockets. So it was like really a changing production, changing uh, lyrical vocabulary and slang and changing the flow, right? So he comes out with this album called Cold Devil, Masterpiece, one of the best LA rap albums, as far as I'm concerned, ever. I would do this, I interview him as he's like just finished recording the album. Like the day after he finishes recording the album, I interview him. It's gonna be a big Sunday LA Times piece, you know, like this, this hero's home from jail, makes a great album, blah, blah, blah. The article comes out, he, so before the article comes out, he gets arrested, right? A cop falls him into a smoke shop. They search him, find a gun on him. Sounded a little mysterious. I'm pretty sure he was being followed at all times, right? But then uh, the article comes out and all of a sudden, you know, he's in jail for a probation violation for possession of a gun by a felony. All of a sudden he gets uh, first degree murder charges placed on him from a murder that had occurred before he even went in jail the first time. So it basically ends up being a story that I've now covered for the last couple of years. And it, and it, I like to tell people it's a test case for kind of the, all the problems with the criminal justice system. Basically they used his lyrics against him in court for this first degree murder charge. Oh, wow. he, like, I mean, it's, I wrote an article for it in the fader. If, if anyone's interested in that, I would just tell them to go to the fader article. If you dive in fader, Jeff Weiss, Draco comes up. Uh, I, Shauna I from the Faders on an earlier episode from two weeks ago. Who was? Shauna Alexander from Fader. Oh, cool. I don't think I know uh, them. 
she uh she's like the boss basically okay. so you probably like she's not editorial she's like editorial okay. like she's a partnerships or whatever yeah rob and john are like the boss bosses yeah. yeah um so i basically did the story for them uh he ends up getting acquitted of most of the series right but two charges end up getting hung which are voluted gang conspiracy laws only written to basically over prosecute gang members it, it also like they 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 did a dragnet they arrested his entire rap crew on charges wow. that like range from like spray painting graffiti and music videos um and and why did uh, they have it in for this guy where did uh, that come from was there is there i think i my, my my gut instinct is it started out he was kind of just it was he was a rapper he was a rising big name he was flashy he kind of was arrogant and I think he probably talked shit to them when they arrested him the first time. And they're like, fuck this motherfucker, we're going to get you. And then as I started writing about it, as his attorney started kind of it going a challenge with the district. Yeah, like they, 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 it became a war to them. Uh-huh. And now he's basically locked up in men's central jail. The judge hates him, would not give him, he has a gag order against him. So he can't even speak out publicly against his case. Wow. The judge refused to let him out for COVID, refused to give him bail. He's like, he's, he's, he's been in solitary confinement now for basically two years, various forms. They had him in the most extreme form of solitary confinement, you know, where he was like next to like, like Mexican mafia killers, you know, like really intense, like hardcore criminals. And, um, and this is an effectively nonviolent offender. And I mean, he was, no one is even saying he was the shooter. You yeah. know what I mean? Like there are no, he has no killings on his record. Like he's, no- he's with association, but like yeah, zero, like, you know, and they, actual... they, tried, they called his rap group a gang. So they decided the rap group was a gang. Oh, that's a whole, gang. that's like a super interesting. I've always loved that subject. Not, not loved, but like, it's an interesting yeah. subject it's, no, with it's, the it's ICP thing and all of that. Yeah. yeah that's a I mean, Wu-Tang, it's sort of like how yeah. they did with Wu-Tang with the Rico acts in New York. Right. They, they got him. And so he's, he's awaiting trial but there's no date set so i, I didn't i did his last interview because he can't do any interviews because he's a yeah. gag order so he can't talk about it I mean, when was talk. his last interview it was like uh on genius i ran it in march that was the last one so, oh, so i mean pretty recent yeah okay yeah so i mean i've been trying to kind of cover it and you know i'd love love to do a documentary about it i've been talking to people about that and a podcast and so that's kind of in the works but uh nothing has come of it yet but i mean it's it, most importantly i i really Talk to Shauna and Rob and John. Yeah, yeah. Because they need to do more podcast content. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's yeah, like I've like definitely already some stuff in motion. I probably shouldn't talk about it, but whatever. um, (laughs) Don't don't like. I mean, maybe it won't happen. Who the fuck? Nothing ever happened. So you know, it's like I'm like yeah, yeah. Get the ringer. Get the ringer on it. Like the ringer. Yeah, yeah. They got some. They got some paper. Ringer. Yeah, totally. No, the ringer would be a perfect place for it. But um, it, it. Or Joe Rogan. Just let, let make it Joe Rogan. Yeah, Joe Rogan. <laughs> pivot to like just yeah. Right. Um, but I think it's a really powerful, tragic case that really kind of illustrates everything that's broken about America right now, and especially the criminal justice system. And you should you know, seriously I, talk to Robin John. Yeah. I do believe he's innocent and I, I think he um I I've I've never quite seen anything like it. I mean it's 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 heartbreaking to have to watch you know it's a it's a badass podcast if you got it together yeah. um and it, it's super timely too there's really nothing that encapsulates you know there's a lot of threads on there that are relevant to right now um starting with just like the general like enemy making of hip-hop 
in our yeah. in our society period leading up to today with like prison reform and how covid yeah. made that you know antagonized the already really really difficult situation with prison reform um that, that would be, yeah you should like, like i was talking to I, I love i used to work with fader like when i was like child i know them from forever um they're great but like yeah like they need podcast stuff um i would have done it but like i'm all over the place like i have tea episodes i have like you know <laughs> i have the most i i, I just want to do everything and i'm going to do like audio documentaries i'm i'm going to literally like read a chapter out of kathy acker because i feel like it you know um I like someone died here uh, in an in, in an accident like right over there, um, and I just like unloaded and turned it into a four. I just like talked it through. I just, I just told the story and made it a forty five minute episode. That well, can't go on fader. So uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean you know. People well, I mean, die. yeah, I think I think there is an opportunity with podcasting to be a really interesting artful medium. I mean, it, it's yeah. still pretty much in its incubation. I mean, Definitely. I think like honestly, it kind of starts as like a. And not to give cereal all the credit because I'm sure there was stuff doing it, but that's I think when people started really taking it seriously. No, it, was, it, it was. I mean, people did it forever, but nothing broke through until then. Yeah. And yeah, and now and, and I guess like Joe Rogan is the best example of someone doing like the the radio idea of it that has yeah. broken through. And um, yeah, I mean it's a weird time because the economics of it are very strange and like uh, they're they're being built right now and they're very um, controversial like people don't really understand how controversial they are yet because of things like Joe Rogan where like it's a play, like it's, it's a play against the music industry, you know? And it's like, how do you get that 55% rate down for this, you know, subscription rate that goes to the rights holders? Oh, make it now, like give them 55% of what they get, but make the whole pool like, 40% 40% audio podcasting and now labels get 60, 55% of 60%. Yeah. It's, All of a sudden. It, it, yeah. It doesn't. Well, I mean, I feel like maybe someone will, I mean, maybe, the, the, I mean, it's probably good that there's an Apple in the title, but you know, to kind of buffer it or to, you know, be a counterbalance, I should say. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Spotify does seem pretty dominant right now. I mean, it seems the like Spotify like, play is so major and people yeah. are fast totally. asleep on what's really happening and i mean honestly like i don't i don't i don't really give a fuck like i'm kind of on this point of my life where i'm just like i'm gonna make stuff and i'm gonna fit into whatever you know the model become i'm not gonna dictate the model anymore i'm just gonna build my own like my own ecosystem and i'm gonna have enough horizontal that's what joe rogan did i mean like whether Mm -hmm. you don't like joe rogan i mean i, I feel like either way you kind of i mean joe like, rogan's great at what he does I, you know i'm not anti at yeah. all yeah I, yeah i don't like i mean i've listened to the show i've listened like five episodes probably yeah, in my life, not yeah. my thing, yeah. but you know whatever like i mean i'm I, not I i'm not down to listen to anyone three hours a day i think that's crazy <laughs> totally i'm like eh, that's a lot like, like I, I don't <laughs> expect people to just tune in to every show that i put up that's like why i make it like this because it's like I see it as there's two ways you um, engage with my show. You either like really want to hear the deep Jeff Weiss episode. Like you read Jeff's stuff, you see him go on a topic, but like rarely do you get to hear his perspective for two hours, you know, like, and that's this episode. I think my perspective, yeah, I think as little as possible. No, (laughs) but this, whatever, be humble and shit. But that's what the point of, that's what I'm, that's what I want right now. Like, I'm not here to like, like, as you've, we've, you know, now we're like, I don't know how long into this, but like, 
We're not like going through like your RZA article. What was that about? Or your Eminem article? Like, I don't give, you know, go read it. Like I'll post like, it in the links. Well, there's something about just hanging out with somebody, right? Like where like, I think podcasting is cool for that, where you're just like, we're just kicking it, <laughs> you know? like. Even but it's it like beyond, you know, I, I am kicking it with you specifically because we can explore ideas. There's alchemy to it. It's not yeah. just like, you know, there's a lot of podcasts that are just, um, you know, couple bros talking about what's going on today, you know, and I don't want to do that ever. Like I want to do, like, if we start talking about some bullshit that is like yeah. mundane, like I steer it. I don't want that. You know, so I want not about to, to actually, like, what's up? What do you think about the six, nine thing? I'm like, right. Like, I don't really like if we have Bad. stuff to talk about it, cool. But like, it's out there, you know, like people like go fucking look at the Twitter trends. Like, totally. you know, it's not that interesting. Hold, like, hold on. Like, I'm going to get my charging cord. Uh-huh. Six nine is stupid. Um, I I don't give a fuck about it, and I get so offended. I'm just like talking a little bit while you were walking away. Like um, the whole I see on Twitter, like people saying like Who's the king of New York?" And I, I think, it, <laughs> yeah, like it's like these people that you know. You probably like this is this is the first era for me where so i'm 35 years old and this is the first era the last few years like like when i worked at apple i was the dude to get the soundcloud rappers onto yeah. apple music connect yeah. and stuff like i was like brock hampton like yeah. i was the first person to contact them like period yeah. like they'll tell you that like and that was the end for me like 2015 like after that like i got like a bunch of them and once like there were other people doing that i've since like it's seeped into irrelevance in my life. So six, nine and stuff like that, pop smoke. Like these are just like, I have no fucking idea which one is which. I think pop smoke was actually like, and not just cause like he died and I want to like posthumously like martyr, you know what I mean? Like make him like this larger than life. Yeah. Pop smoke was one of the few artists that like I've heard. I, I, I personally have like, I mean, there's a, it's in hip hop right now. There's a lot of stuff I like. There's mm -hmm. not much I love. And Pop Smoke was one of the few artists that had cut through in the last year or two where I was like, oh, I actually love this. I think this okay. guy's incredible. Just he had the, one of the best voices I'd ever heard. Just reminded me of like, like, like early Biggie, kind of yeah. like mob deep, just the aggressiveness. But just that voice was one of a kind. Also, the kind of like a, like almost like a West Indian, Caribbean type thing to his vocals that kind of were cool you had the british drill influence and the and the, obviously the chicago you know it started yeah i mean you're way more like you you know this better than i do like yeah, this i mean is my I, I i listen to a genre. lot of stuff now just to keep up with it and yeah. uh i, mean, I like, stopped like, because when i left apple i stopped yeah totally i listened like, to like, one like, do you know who like, my favorite is new, yeah like little baby do you know who little baby is like, I, I know who they all are i just yeah. like Big i couldn't star. tell I you project. i was like this is good but I don't want to listen to 30 songs of this or 25 yeah. songs of this. Like it's, and it, it, it there, I think it's, you know, it's like, I'm now <laughs> the old man part of my life where I'm just like, <laughs> uh, I, I miss. And I think there probably are kids that have like, I feel like it's become like such a, like you either are dedicated to craft to the point of where you become this, like almost like logic type rapper where it's like this, like spitting lyrical yeah. spiritual miracles, or you're like this, like, you know, and, I like the rappers. That's why I like Draco so much, right? Even though Draco was not, Draco wasn't like, I'm going to freestyle all day. But like Draco's like a writer. You know what I mean? Like he, okay. he's writing all the time. And like 
I like the rappers that are writers. And I think like, even when I was, even Jay-Z didn't write, but like he's a writer, you know what I mean? And I miss that element of it. Cause I think, um, I think that's one of the worst things that ever happened to hip hop was like, it worked for Lil Wayne, right? Like mm. Lil Wayne's incredible, like just off the top, but like most rappers like writing is a good thing <laughs> i yes. mean like i don't understand why we're in a society where we're like reading is bad writing is bad you're like this is the only reason why our society is where it's new at. orleans had a lil wayne was following in the footsteps of a tradition of new orleans That's where like yeah. soul and flow and feeling led yeah. it wasn't like you sit pen to paper and you know hatch these big ideas it was more just like i live this in congo square or in preservation hall or wherever yeah. i have a preservation hall episode uh, that's well, a few weeks ago too. The most amazing place yeah. Ever. So Ben Jaffe and I, I mean, you should l listen to it and tell me what you think. Cause, cause that was a, that was like one of my favorite episodes and then one of my favorite places in the world. But yeah, like I, I, I can go all day on new Orleans and like Lil Wayne is so much in the tradition of new Orleans. I totally agree. And, and I'm not saying, uh, I'm not saying that you should have one or the other, you know what I mean? Like, I think like, both Oh no, no, you could very do any combination of whatever. Totally. And like, that's I would say my favorite is a combination. Denzel Curry is the only rapper I give a fuck about today. Really? Yeah. He, I mean, I like Denzel. He's a good rapper. And he's somewhere in the middle where he does shit like Lil Wayne and he does shit that's like, oh, there's real words here. Like, he did yeah. not do this off yeah. the cuff. I know um, he wrote that down. What's well, like the rappers on my label? Like, I like, you know, some of them are like that, but it's, it's hard to kind of cut through to the mainstream because, like, I think a Spotify does control it at this point. I think major labels control it right yeah. now. It's, it's hard for, like, without, without a. Especially with hip hop. Yeah. Without a functioning press, it's really hard for, especially in a functioning independent press that cares about discovering artists. And that's not to, you know, there, there are still websites, you know, like out there. I mean, Pitches and Plans does a good job of finding a new talent. DJ Booth does. Hypebeast yeah. does a good job. But it, like, it, and, you know, but it doesn't, it doesn't make an impact. It, not the same way. No. Not the you same have to way. build, it's part of a story. I mean, like, I talk about that. I, so I, I come, we met, Jeff and I met, uh, what, four years ago, five years ago? I don't know, something like that. Like we went on a trip yeah. together in oh, yeah. Israel. And uh, at that time in the world, Jeff writing a review of a new rap song was, would, would get that song a ton of plays on SoundCloud or something Some, like that, you know? Or, 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 or music <laughs> blogs were, like I had, my, my life was built, I, I did a bunch of shit, but the most impactful thing, the thing that got me to Apple was the holy trinity that I built, I called it that, of SoundCloud, Hype Machine, and music blogs. Yeah. And I could, I could work that yeah. to make something popular. Just like, oh. like I, if, I, if I heard the song, I could tell you if it would fit into my system and I could make it pop. I could get it five, you know, I could get it millions yeah. of plays, guaranteed. And um, that is no longer a thing. So I talk about this I've, every episode. I'm, I'm just like, marketing is dead. Like you cannot, you just have to make good shit. And like the only thing you could do is like pair up with other people making good shit. And then like when the time is right, get onto a platform and like move horizontally. But yeah. like, you know, open up new verticals for yourself when the time is right and break thresholds onto like so if you get big enough to like get into the spotify playlist merry-go-round 
that's, that's important, you know, but like, there's very few of them. There's very, there's no like grassroots marketing anymore. The grassroots marketing is all bullshit. It's like, there's no like street team, you know, it's not like live record street team. Don't hire a publicist to do music blogs, do whatever you can do and save your 2,500 a month to like pay a producer or like uh, make more music, you know, like make your shit better. I mean, mean, realistically, I mean, some publicists are valuable, some less so, but at the end of the day, it's like, the twenty five hundred dollars. I mean, like, I mean, I love a lot of publicists, obviously, but like, mm-hmm. there's also like a value in like, I don't know, paying somebody to do a feature for you. That's big. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, like, use your twenty five hundred that way to open up a new fan base. Like, yeah, I mean, getting it, that publicist to send out an email blast to a bunch of people, a bunch of writers. Like, man, you know, all love, but like the music premiere, the, the you know, the song premiere on earmilk.com, like is not going to do it for you. It's on fader.com is not going to yeah, do it for it, you. It passion like, wife either. So it's like, you know, it, I mean, it, there have been art, but it, it, it's just, uh, the major, oh, there was a time where the passion of the Weiss article was impactful. Now, like your writing is its own art. And your words will go viral, you know, well, yeah, in an organic it, way, but not in a, not a it's song only review. impactful as much as like me doing other stuff. So it matters. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, totally. No, I mean, you write an article it, that resonates and people share it and it becomes like part of the, yeah, like part a, of the well, culture of the day, you know, totally. but like, but no yeah, one's no. like, what's Jeff Weiss playlisting today? Like no one gives a fuck about that. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> so that's I mean, like, like not a thing. Yeah, it's. It's depressing because I think we're just becoming a post-verbal society. And to me, like, words are the most important. Like, maybe not post-verbal, post-literate. You know what I mean? No, I said that. I went in a comment on ESPN on, uh, they wrote, uh, these athletes redefine swole and posted a bunch of, like, muscular athletes. And I was like, yo, like, ESPN, you're the biggest corporation in media, Disney. Like, don't contribute to the downfall of language. They can define swole, but they don't need to redefine it. Like, it's just I, defining it. Like, you don't need to redefine it. Like, <laughs> No, it, totally. It's like, or it's like even like, 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 <laughs> <laughs> like the New York Times headline where they're like, the loss is incalculable. I'm like, well, you just- It's not. It's literally, it says 100,000. You just calculated it. Like, so maybe think of a better word than incalculable. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? The loss is like, you know, deadly. Are you the the wrong word? It's literally otherworldly or something like that. Anything, you know what I mean? Like perilous. I don't know. You're the (laughs) fucking New York Times. Yeah, just you could just say devastating. (laughs) But it is calculable. Like, you know, it's like when people say like, I mean, I do this too, but it's like, literally and you're like that word no longer and i just feel like all of our words have ceased to have meaning because of overuse and we're not like that's why i like rap because i feel like rap is the last place where they're creating new words yeah and that's true like i mean then again so then i'm like i'm too old to say no cap but at the same time i'm happy (laughs) it's being created yeah no but i've heard kids now are going back which depresses me like a lot i don't know like a lot of like the younger writers i have or like musicians i'll talk to they'll be like oh they got me hip or like, are you hip to this? And I'm like, man, we need like better slang than adjectives that were like out of date when we were kids. Right. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Because like, even when in the 80s and 90s and shit, it was like, you're hip. And you're like, yeah, what the yeah, fuck? Yeah, hip was whack when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah, it was like not, you know. And I don't know. It, it it's, I hope, I'm like, it's weird, right? Because like the whole, everyone's like, what do you think is going to happen after the pandemic? And I'm like, uh, probably bad stuff. But I hope that, people wake up but I haven't really seen any signs that people are gonna wake up like I haven't seen anyone being like man like 
the last 20 years of American life have been pretty idiotic. Like, mm-hmm. let's, you know, I, and I know those people are out there. And I, like, I mean, and like, to be fair, like, there's nothing that like, it's, I, I, I feel really corny saying it, but like, the fact that anyone cares about what I have to say, I appreciate that. And I have gratitude for it because I, rem- I always will remember what it was like to have no one give a fuck. You know what I mean? No one cared about, you know, I remember starting a blog and be like, man, if I can get 50 people to read my blog today, hallelujah. And now, now 55 people read my blog every day. No, he's referencing, Jeff is referencing an article he wrote last week for uh, Los Angeles Magazine or what was it, right? Um, And yeah, and it it talks about this. It talks about like, uh, I think the headline was, you know, the the Los Angeles that we knew is history, next is the future, something like that, something yeah. along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes into, yeah, I mean, you know, what, what, you, what he just talks about, that like a lot of the shit that's fucked up now, like is fucked up because it's been fucked up. And if we're gonna fix, if we're gonna make things better, we kind of have to look at like, like, like we can't just look at COVID as, you know what, I was talking to one, like my best friend is, is in the middle of like separation right now and it's really fucked. The guy's a, the guy's a motherfucker. And um, she's got two kids and he's like going to get them sick. One's got asthma and he's going to get them sick. And he's just like being a fucking asshole, taking them to the wrong places. And like, they should stay inside, like period. Um, And uh, she, while all this is going on, like she starts talking to me the other day about like, she's hung up on this like married guy. Like she's in the middle of getting separated from her like dickhead husband that she shouldn't have married. And she's like, fixing her head on this married guy and and i'm like that's you know you're repeating bad habits so why are you starting on this again like you don't have to you could nip it in the butt right now and she's like well that's not really fair because i'm not really in a position like i can't meet anyone and i'm stuck here and blah 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 and you're being too hard on me and i'm like i I think you're now using you know quarantine as an excuse to stay in this thing that has hurt you for a long time and i think that a lot of people are now like this like if we don't assess if we don't own up that like yo we fucked shit up already it's not just the fact that we have to stay inside that's fucking shit up like yeah other countries aren't as fucked up as us like i mean other countries have dealt with the disease but like they're they don't have 20 percent unemployment they don't uh-huh. have broken yeah health. exactly like that yeah, that but, instability did not just come from fucking virus no yeah i mean it and it I, you know i i don't know what this like it does. I mean, I get why people feel powerless. I mean, it's a logical re- response, I think, to this. But at the yeah. same time, it's like, you know, it's like even and it, there are inspiring things. I mean, I hope it works. Like, for instance, like if you've been to like Tex in, in Echo Park. Yeah, of course. So, right. So, like, this is just a little to make out with the bartender microcosm microcosm thing. But it's like a design leaked last week about like they're it's sold and they're like putting up 170 units and like only 20 are affordable rate. What? And it's just like, dude, like the, the design like looks like it looks like a Chipotle. Like you're like, why why would you take this beautiful old historic restaurant and turn it into a Chipotle? Like it doesn't even make any sense. And it's like just bad business because no one's gonna want to go to that bar. And you know what I mean? The whole reason why people wanted to go was because it was like this cool, historic, charming uh-huh. like place where you felt like you were walking into a fucking Faulkner novel. Absolutely. And you know, you know, there's been like a petition to try to keep it or whatever. And, you know, yeah. I think that's cool. I mean, like, I think like, I think the DSA has been doing some cool stuff. I think like what's there's the DSA Brown game has been doing a lot of cool stuff in LA. I really hope that what's, what's the DSA, the democratic socialists oh, okay. association in LA, but the LA chapter is like yeah. okay. strong and they actually helped us with like the boycott and stuff. And like, 
you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's like all these cities. I mean, I, I'm sure you feel some kind of way about New York. I mean, the way that New York has just been pillaged, you know, over the last decade, 15 years by like huge. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole, yeah, it's, like the, it's honestly the, an episode for you and me. To, we didn't even, we didn't yeah. even touch on this. It's funny. Like this is, I had like a few notes for this conversation. Growing up in LA, right? Like I'm like, yeah. I'm like the LA that I knew is like, like I'm writing an article on Dan Tana's, right? And like for the next oh, wow, yeah. Tag, like, and because like, I, I'm like, if Dan Tana's goes, it's all, I mean, it's not going to go, but it's <laughs> like, that's like one of the last cool LA legendary spots. And yeah. I worry they're all going to be gone. Your text was one of them for sure. Lots of New York places. I mean, the difference, you know, just this is a, this is a whole yeah. runway of, of conversation. But, uh, you know, New York versus L.A., there's an added layer with that, which is like the arts community in New York has been yeah. pillaged for for a decade now, more arguably. But like, you know, it's been set up for a while, but it's re like people have been actively yeah. leaving like you can track like meet me in the bathroom and like the, the, the Natasha Stagg book that I'm reading right now, they end in 2011 <laughs> for a and reason. All, and all know? those artists now live in LA. Uh -huh. yeah, so Dave Siddick has been in LA for a long time totally. like it, as a producer. Yeah, totally. Like, you know, Ed from Grizzly Bear lives in, you yeah. know, oh, yeah. like in Silver Lake, like uh, what's his name? Not Julian, but uh, Valencia like lives. All in of them. Like, uh -huh. Yeah. They, I, 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 yeah. They or like, doesn't he, I think Julian lives upstate. Like it's like, Nobody lives actually in New York. And that's kind of my problem with LA to what I worry about it is like, like these, like, I mean, for me, like I'm like a third generation, you really said you're fourth, I'm like third generation LA, right? And I would like to be able to have kids one day and raise my kids in LA or whatever. And I don't know how that's possible. Like, I don't know mm -hmm. how are people gonna buy houses unless like it becomes like a feudalistic thing where their parents help them out or something. It's my like, producer friends who are yeah. probably in like, you know, artists and producer friends who are probably in like similar economic, uh, you know, whatever, like, like, uh, what's the word? Like have similar amounts of money that you do. I would, you know, <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. Live Mount Washington and like yeah. places like that, you know, and they buy houses with backyards and, they're two, three bedrooms and they're not like, I don't know if you could buy one right now. I mean, you could have maybe seven, eight years ago. I don't know. I mean, yeah. Like, oh, but I have friends with two kids who live in a, you know, like they're not gigantic, but like two, three bedroom houses with a studio in the back and like a little backyard and they can have, you know, barbecues and stuff and a little, and a garden and they have a, you know, and it's like a cool street and down the street is like, you know, a fucking amazing Mexican place. And they can, you know, for not crazy rich people money, they could do that. And you're 20 minutes away from like the city. And that's, that's still gettable. Um, it's not cheap. It's not like, <laughs> I don't yeah. think I can go to those places, but I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I mean, it, it, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I mean, like LA does have a lot more housing stock, obviously than New York does. I mean, New York, it's like a vertical. New York city. is in whole nother, like there is like what I just described. No, absolutely not. Like you're living in, you're not even living in Hoboken, you know, like no way. I mean, it's, and it, it's sad because I think like you, I mean, like ultimately cities are going to be the predominant hub for like culture in, you know, most of the time. And I mean, I don't so we're know. We're like, scene culture. Like, so I've talked for a while and we don't need to break down why scene culture like broke down. But what do you think about scene culture now, given quarantine, post-quarantine life? 
I think that that's I, I hope that it, it comes back. I had, I'd felt and you know, and of course, like, you know, my perspective is always, you know, inherently you're limited to just what your own eyes see. But I, in, so for the 2010s, so I grew up in LA, right? And I felt like scene culture was very, um, very hard to find, right? Because there's a pre-internet era in the okay. 90s. Like you kind of had to like- Arguably that is the definition of scene culture. Totally, yeah. And then- <laughs> Hard to find. Yeah, totally. There's like, a reason I, why you find it, you know? Totally. You had to find it because you're like, all right, I can't stay at home. I got to find it. And like, you know, there were things like Project Blow, there was Concrete Jungle and, and Silver, like, you know, but then in the 2000s, you know, I was like old enough. I, I never was like a cine space, that whole world. I went through it a couple of times. It was never like my vibe in Hollywood. The, the thing that I always- talking really about like Steve Aoki parties. Yeah, like that was not my thing. I didn't go to, I, I didn't like those either. I went a couple times, it, but I felt weird. Yeah, it was not. I mean, I, I started going out in Silver Lake in the late 2000s a lot. And that was a cool like end of an era kind of time where like you still had the indie rock thing that I, I really enjoyed that from like Silver Lake. And that felt really good, but that was at, at the, now it's called The Satellite. And that was really cool because it did feel like a community. There were all these bands. And it was like the blog era. And a lot of them were really good. And none of them, most of them didn't. You, local Natives were like the only band that kind of blew up out. I mean, I guess that's not oh, true. I fucking local hate Natives. Local Natives. Oh, my God. <laughs> I actually like Local Natives. I think, I think they're good. But, them with their uh, fucking scarves and sweaters and fucking man buns. Well, well, oh, fuck that like, shit. I, I actually thought they were really good. Um, they great, great. They had like, I, I, th I thought they were like a real, there were some other bands from that era. I did not like that much, but, um, but you know, I, I'm thinking of band, just like, like, uh, it was just more like a lot of like, there was a band called the Parson Redheads. I really fucked with. It was just like more of a scene. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't yeah. like, no one was like, no, I remember the local native scene and I remember being, they were like, this is even before them. they were the end. They were like the one band that kind of, you know what I mean? I'm talking like so they bridged to like the girls who hooked up with the local natives guys started hooking up with the Tulum kinds of DJ guys next. They were the end of that, and then it yeah. became DJs, and it was that's, the same that is, that, that cheesy is, is, motherfucker like DJ. A hundred percent. That is dead on. Yeah. And then they then like then they were going to Burning Man by 2014. Exactly. You know? And uh, but. Then it became like low-end theory for me. I discovered the low-end theory and I was low like, oh my God, this is yeah. the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Is low-end theory like allowed to happen now or is that like canceled? I mean, it shut down in 2018, I believe. So it had kind oh, of- Oh yeah, you know what? I was at the last one. What am I talking about? I was yeah, there. Yeah, with Tyler. Yeah, it was, that was great. That's um, cool. But that for me, I mean, for like all of the 2010s and even the end of the, the previous decade, that was like my, that was like the best, that was the most vibrant scene. And also you had the smell was super cool. Like that the smell was, was awesome. Yeah. Was I did cool. a party at the new Jalisco bar. That was right. the, the uh, so Latinx or how do you, whatever way we say yeah. it now, but the Latinx bar that was the whole, the peephole in the wall of the smell went yeah. to there and the drag bar and we did parties there. I loved it. Yeah, oh, no, that was, I mean, that was a cool time. Still and, there. Smells not. Funkmosphere. Uh, was really cool and like, those were like really formative cool LA scenes and I haven't like me and like once everything kind of died you know I did a party called Don't Come to LA that was super popping in like 2018 which was like actually the first cool rap party I've been to in a minute and uh like bringing all these local acts and we had like Shoreline Mafia playing early shows like all the G Perico, Rucci like all these like kind of underground LA rappers that kind of AZ Shike, who are kind of like big bubbling LA rappers right now. Blue, we had like an early Blueface show before he kind of started to suck. And because uh, he went, he got a viral hit. He got really, like, yeah. yeah, he got, yeah, he went viral and got trapped. Yeah. Um, but once that died, I I haven't found anything, and I hope 
that this is, I mean, like, of course, like culture will always emerge, but I wonder if the, the you're right that the internet is, it is a natural form. It's an, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a pressure valve. Right. Sure. So like in terms of even like organizing, right. Like, like, yeah, people will say shit on Twitter, but like when it comes down to rot in real life, not as many people are there. Like I can tweet about like, um, support the land and maybe someone will buy something, but people are not going to want to like necessarily like, do deliver the magazine for us. You know what I mean? Like things that like you need like on the ground kind of things. And I don't know. I, I hope that, that I'm really scared about the lack of venues, you know, like I, I really, yeah. and not to say that kids can't just like, do, I mean, a, a lot of cool shit was just in a warehouse anyways. So, but I just hope it returns like in a, in an interesting way. Cause I, what I've realized is you need, people the one thing you can't substitute is people with vision and all these scenes were started with people with visions and like really specific ideas of what they wanted and i hope that like this next generation understands that like i, I hope that they like you know because they have to they they don't want to just be on tiktok like, i mean like i don't know i sound like an old ass man saying this shit and like i'm sure like there will always be cool people that are doing shit but you know it's it just becomes hard economically like to throw parties you know what i mean like as you know right like did you ever make, I mean, you might've made money. From, I barely made money on my parties. And when we did, it was only because Red Bull was subsidizing it. You know? When I did reunion in LA, we always did it at cost and we put all our money back into reunion LA. So we literally, Blaze and I and, and Sonny never took a penny on reunion LA. But um, that, was, that was, by, yeah, it was, you know, by design. We overspent yeah. on that. We generated revenue. Like if we, like we generated thousands of dollars a night that we could have kept. And we instead just like, gave it away like we paid for crazy sound and we would like if we had extra money we like bought stuff to give to the party you know things like that um but that was also because like we all had like high paying jobs at that time and we just like wanted to do some dope shit um but but i have my new york stuff um yeah i made money um i know how to make money with a certain kind of event, not like a weekly event, like all of my residencies, like when it was just like Sean Glass DJing at whatever club, like, nah, dude, like, you know, hundreds of dollars yeah. at best. My Liberone residency, which I, I think was probably my favorite, consi my consistent favorite residency that I had in my day, um, I netted, you know, zero on that forever because they were so shitty about paying. And I had, I just, I just like, made myself the last to get paid basically even though it was like all me it was just like in order to make it dope it was like i wanted it to be the spot that what what was great about the party was like yeah it was it, there was never a fucking announce it was I, I did this forever but like i never made it about the djs it was always just like this is the party this is the scene and people come but yeah. everyone came to play and like as soon as if someone was booked to headline fucking terminal five like they were by one thirty, they were they were doing an hour at my party and um, it wasn't announced. It was just USB. Um, kind of like the yeah. do-overs and like that in LA. I mean, the do-overs. Yeah, like totally. Yeah. Like, I mean, but my, my pop-ups, I made money on like my bathhouse party, my strip club party, my, my reunion parties in New York when I took over the building in Chinatown. Like that made, like I broke a hundred thousand in revenue that night. Wow. Um, yeah, I've never really made money off my party. I props to you for doing it. I mean, like it, it's hard. I did it it's different. Hard. I scaled there's it up. An, yeah. There's, an, there's, an, there's a real arts of promotion too. And like that, that's one thing I worry about in LA where it's like the economics are just like, kind of like, I don't know, like, it, the economics might don't work as well as they used to. And they probably don't work as well as they used to in New York either. Hell no, no. Yeah. Uh, it works well when I'm not like, 
when I'm promoting something, when the whole thing is about promoting, yeah. it doesn't work. But yeah. when I have an idea and so there was, there was a time when I was just like, I was hot and, and like people would come to anything that I did because everything that I did was idea forward, you know? And it, it was a new venue, a new kind of thing. Like I was just, I was everything existed for a reason there was no just like regular like my regular shit was like wednesday night at lebron and then like if i was throwing a party on saturday night there was like a pitch for it you know i was taking over sleep no more and i was the first one allowed to dj there kind of thing yeah. like that and that was like everyone had to be there i only did shit that it was like you need no information it's it's, it's either like three words like very simple and i know that i can i had a gigantic mailing list and it was just like like my mailing list would bring a thousand people and that was it. And um, yeah. And, and eventually I, if I'm charging, uh, what I would usually do is I would get sponsored open bar. Yeah. So everyone wanted to sponsor me. And instead of taking money from them, I would just say, give me unlimited product, you know, and yeah. I will charge for, and I will keep that open bar money. So I will, you know, 30 to $50. I kept it super crazy. Now you're talking like $250 people will charge for a fucking open bar like that. Um, and I would do I would do it like that. Like, so it's like $30, $50, $60, something like that and open bar all night. And it's like pop up, cool, crazy new venue. And yeah. you know, you're in and that's it. And like, everything is free and I would keep that profit. And that was my, and I could yeah. make 20 grand that way. And right. yeah, it could be, but because I did everything. Yeah. And I was like the only one who was doing yeah, I mean, that. It's a full-time job at that point. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So when I did reunion and I cracked that number, um, I tried it afterwards with, where I was doing it more like artist friendly. And I was like not aligning with a lot of the bro kind of people who were, who would pay for $150 tickets and stuff. And I was alienating those people cause I didn't like them and shit. And I lost money because I didn't do it the way that like I knew it could be done, but um, I wanted to make it like cooler and I wanted to put, I wanted to move energy around, but um, you have to do everything yeah. to, to make money. Like if I had partners on reunion, I, th then it, it doesn't work. If I'm, if I'm paying for everyone to do everything, it doesn't work. Night. You're actually, you're right. Like if we didn't split it like a couple ways, I would have made pretty decent money, but yeah, yeah if you're partners, it's like, yeah. Exactly. Also, yeah. If you require a squad of, of 20 people, that's how my warehouse parties were. We had like 20 people working on them probably. And we do 5,000 people, but yeah. like, like 5,000 tickets. But like, you know, when you have a hundred staff and like a bunch of partners, like there's no money, you know, everyone's getting a couple hundred bucks and that's it. But if I could do a thousand tickets by myself with a really good idea once in a while, I could pay myself 20 to 50 K in one night. And that was way better. And that's, that's, what, that's how I lived for a couple of years. But that was it. But I, and then I stopped, which was stupid. But whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, no, like that, that'd be kind of hard to kind of that that that, that it, it takes a lot of. It's like it's like playing forty eight minutes a game. <laughs> yeah, it was also just like I I had to be super relevant, like yeah. in the scene kind of. I had to be like this this polymath to scenes. I had to be relevant in all the, the reason, like I could bring together the house kids, the techno kids, the disco yeah. kids, the film kids, the TP. I could bring everyone together. And that made a thousand people, but yeah. that meant I needed to keep up all those relationships. And I was no longer interested in that, in my day-to-day -day life. I did not want to be socializing in that way. So that changed, that was probably the biggest thing is like the production wasn't that big of a deal. I could have done it, but what it took to get people to show up, 
I didn't want to hang it, out with all these people. Really, it is really hard to get people to share. It's like way harder than I think that people oh, yeah. think it is. You know, it's like, yeah, I. You have to get I, the community leaders. You know, there's people who like everyone looks to, to what should I do tonight? Yeah. And if you have those people, you have the audience, but you need to like massage. Those people are so insecure and you yeah. need to be constantly like providing them with, you know, energy if you're going to be their go-to person. Yeah. And that's, I just didn't want that. I didn't yeah, want to hang I, out with those people anymore. I found with my problem with like, if you go through all the shows that I've ever thrown in my life, like I had the uh, example, like in 2009, it was like, I had a show with like Freddie Gibbs and Hani Al-Khatib headlining it, right? Cool. Space yeah. Man. Maybe we got two, in, we, Christina Ricci came. That was the highlight of my, yeah. of my existence, right? But like, we got maybe 150 people there. Or like, you know what I mean? Now Freddie Gibbs can sell out a 3,000 person room or 2,000 yeah. person room or something. And Hani Al-Khatib could do probably the same sometimes, you know? Or I had this, um, I did a festival in 2015 where it was like, Secret guest was Vince Staples, but we had uh, like that kid Saba, who's big now, was like mm -hmm. the first opener. We paid him nothing. We had, um, I'm like blanking right now on all the names, but like Open Mike Eagle uh, played. Um, but like that's the model. Yeah. So you oh, get right. all the talent to do the cool thing uh, and you, you know. Not a scrum. Like we had a bunch of like, you know, people that like all oh, over yeah. the campus, but it just, you know, it like when you're doing something or like even the Don't Come to LA, like we, we had like, this kid AZ Shite played the first show, right? Like he, he maybe I think we paid him like 150 bucks yeah. to play like for 15 minutes. But like now he now he has like half a million monthly listeners on Spotify. You know what I mean? Like it it, it just is like or Blueface we played Blueface like 900 dollars, but like a month yeah, and a half yeah. later he was like headlining the Nokia and selling right. out a 1,000 person cap room. You know it just. But it's you hard. can parlay that into, yeah. I mean, I mean that the, you know, the business model today is you have that cool factor yeah. and you have the artists, you know, and you can upsell that to bigger events. You know, you do the, you do the tent at the cool, at the big festival and yeah. your tent is curated yeah. and you get, you know, a $25,000 fee to do that and budget. And that's like, and then you get, you know, you do your night for Red Bull Music Academy or whatever, you know, which is rest in peace. But like, you know, I know, right. It's that, well, that's the thing, right? Like, I feel like there's a lot of corporate patrons that have gotten out and I wonder what, how quickly, I mean, yes, I think in a decade from now, there will be a return to like that, but I don't know what the next five years looks like. I'm kind of cynical where it could go two ways, right? It's either a dead zone or kids like are like, fuck it. We're going to throw warehouse parties on the low on the outskirts, which they've always done to a certain degree. And you know, like, I think it's going to be that. And it's going to be, it's going to shift from corporate patronage to fan patronage. I think fan patronage, like, like the preservation hall model is massive. I think preservation hall, that's why I had Ben on and we talked about the foundation. It's, and it, it's, it's, uh, I guess I, I don't know. I know it's a for-profit, but they have a foundation that is a not-for-profit. So uh -huh. the, the, the venue is a five set a night, like, ticketed venue it's and so good. it's yeah. incredible not, not doesn't exist in the entire world um has never and I they I, I, went, uh, I was in new orleans and i went on my birthday last year before everything awesome, yeah great out. place yeah. for the birthday yeah yeah so i was staying in, i was living in new orleans for like a month and a half or amazing yeah sick it's like i mean uh, that place is like i mean 
I hope that I hope that place. Recover. I mean, I'm not worried about it. Oh no, they're doing great. The, th- what they are focused on is the musicians. The foundation is not for Preservation Hall. The foundation is for the musicians. The foundation is, you know, and this is now now Win Butler and and Regine from Arcade Fire yeah, are partners on it. They have Crude Deconnaval, and they. I talk about this like constantly because I love it so much. Um, and I think it's so important. And I also had another artist on uh, who were doing a second follow-up later this week, um, Lost Under Heaven, former Wu Life, Ellery. Um, yeah. And uh, they're fully patronage model now. They left Mute. And so, really? uh, you know, I'm trying to like cultivate all these different angles around like what the new model is. Um, yeah. th- they were basically forced into patronage because like their sponsorship and shit, their record deal, like they, they had bad timing, you know? Like Not they just got the... Knees cut off. Like Patreon, yeah, yeah. So the I Patreon mean, shit is like, do I want do I want Passion of the Weiss to exist? Do I want Jeff Weiss to be writing regularly? If so, this is what I got to do. And period. Well, I like, think I think that hasn't fully crossed over where people like. So we need that. That's what's ne- that's like all. I'm fuck- that is going to coalesce soon. It has to, because yeah, it's okay. not going to be Red Bull. Those guys are no longer, they do not have those budgets. Um, I used to do a lot of that shit. You know, I did my Coachella stage and shit. Like, that's not, that's not, that's not going to happen anymore. Not, not like, for the next five years, at least. No but, way. Yeah. Maybe in 10, but I'm going to be not in it, I don't think, in 10 years. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be doing different things in 10 years. Yeah, I hope. But, like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's going to be different. And I think that people are going to have to cross this line of, if I want Passion of the Weiss to, if I want Jeff and his curation to come into my inbox yeah. i need to carve out something for it and that's just if i want it to exist i need to subsidize in some way and it's it's like the middle ages you know it's like the renaissance it's like there's got to be just people yeah. there's got to be a fucking person straight up like there's going to be the 599s and then yeah. there's going to be the like someone's going to just like give you 10k well i think like, i think period. that's going to be i mean that's sort of what we're trying to think for the land because it's like look like you can wait all the like i don't want we, we, we had a lot of talks and we were like yeah, I should probably explain what the land is if people like Yeah, go, please. So basically, lo, lo, in my very long-winded, it's basically the LA Weekly got bought in two, late 2017 by a bunch of like right-wing grifters, more or less, right? And they, sure. they destroyed and gutted the, the paper that had been formerly, you know, LA's like home for progressive alternative underground culture, right? For like 40 years. I was a columnist there for since 2012 i've been writing for them since like 2007 it was one of my first like early gigs i ever had right and i it was cool it was a hometown discount i'm from la i love la i just wanted to write about cool shit because it needed to be covered and because i i thought i was in my in my own delusional sensibility i thought i was the one to cover it usually and um basically it gets bought destroyed and i started to boycott against it with a bunch of other really talented smart people that used to work for the weekly as well freelancers staffers columnists all kinds of people and we ended up starting, uh, a, a small collective of us started a magazine in 2000, last year, 2019, called The Land. Uh, we're putting out a new issue in July. Uh, it, you know, it's like just basically, like the story, you know, it's like the story, the stories that slip between the cracks, you know, I, I've always yeah. assumed LA is like a block by block city where you kind of, you, you stumble. It's like, you know, it's like New York, it's like everything's out there for you, right? Like there is an underground culture, like, you know, pull the candelabra, the wall rotates in New York and you're in a different <laughs> room. That exists too. But LA is ex- almost exclusively that. You know what I mean? It's like, if you want to find cool underground shit, you're not going to just stumble on it. You know, you're not going to just walk in. You're not going to hear music from a bar and stumble into a cellar and then you're like, holy shit. Yeah. LA, like you really have to know. And, you know, it's by- I remember my first time doing that in LA. Like when I was, I was in college and 
my LA roommate brought me to like, it was an art gallery where the stairs lifted up and it was soundproof and downstairs was a speakeasy with a jazz bar and, oh no, reggae, reggae. Um, and it was a smoke, everyone was smoking and uh, the cops did come and you just literally, they told us when the cops were coming and we all just like whispered and uh, they closed the stairs and that was it. And the cops had no idea. And it was like, the actually cops, cops that. A lot. The Freak City had a cool scene at the end of like 2010, 2011. Yeah, this was, uh, yeah, about that. Did you ever go to Freak City? That was kind of a- I don't think so. It was a funny- it I was wasn't like, in LA much. I was visiting LA for days at a time at that point. It's now like Dash Radio. And it was like this old like department store. It's like a three-story. Oh, I mean, I know I've been to Dash Radio, but like- Yeah, it's, it's well, the new Dash Radio. Yeah, yeah. On, on Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, um, I've been there. That 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 big. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yes, I was at this place. Yes, I know what you're talking about. And, I was there at a really cool party, um, and I I kissed a famous actress that night, and I've never forgotten it. Like she just like kissed me. We just like met. Someone introduced us. It was like a super cool party, and someone introduced us, and I was like, oh, I saw. I was like, oh, I was drunk, and I was like, oh, I've seen you naked, and she just like kissed me, and I was like. I was so happy. Like, yeah, didn't see that working. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I that was like, yeah, totally. It's like, it's like, I, I, you know, that was like, I got on, I did a party at actually Free City. It was this cool little like old abandoned, it, it was like an old, like abandoned apartment store that no one had like used probably since the Exactly. 60s. Yeah. It was cool. And the, deli- like one of the guys from Delicious Vinyl was like just giving it to people to like rent out. And he's like, do you want to do it? I was like, hell yeah. So I, it was yeah. like, we had Dame Funk headlining to like, he played till like four in the morning. And like the last people there were like Micah Nine from Freestyle Fellowship. Just like, it was like really weird. But we had like, you know, Salva. It was like yeah. Salva had just started playing. Yeah, yeah. We had the Code Hangers, with this like dope punk band. No Can Do played. I don't know, just sometimes like- Salva feel, did the Mercy remix that everyone- <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was pre-Mercy remix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Dude, that was a moment though. The Mercy oh, remix yeah. was the real moment. Uh, like yeah. you heard that- everywhere for like or at house music parties i opened with that for you know a year like playing it's not a hip-hop dj but i played it i played that remix to open like every set for a year probably (laughs) i'll never forget like hearing it once at like low end theory and then like overhearing so like that was kind of when like low end theory was kind of getting discovered by like the people that like you were like "Eh, i don't know if i want them coming but it like worked for a while because it was just like oh this is now just a really fun party and the music is cool rather than a just for heads thing but they played the Salva remix and they were like, someone's like, what is this? And they're like, it's trap. And they're like, what's trap? And they're like, it's the new dubstep. And I was like, ah, <laughs> no. It was, it was, that was a cool moment. I don't know. Like it, it, you need, you need like kind of that vision. Like, like Low and Theory had that kind of collective vision. Yeah. I've never had the patience to do like a, a weekly, monthly kind of thing consistently. Cause it really does have to be your job. And it has to be like, yeah. It, I don't no, know. I did weeklies for years and getting people out was not like the, oh, so. the hindsight is, is beautiful, but on a weekly basis, you know, like I love like that LeBron party I mentioned, like that has such value to my relationships today because there's so many people that like connect with the, like, ni- like tell me about nights that they had yeah. at that party, but um, they weren't there at, you know, three nights a month like we did it four nights a month and like one night a month would be epic but we did it four nights a month and it wasn't epic every time like it was me nikki digital and luca son of wolf drinking jack and cokes 
and you know like just talking about nothing and going whoa hop like afterwards and that was it and like maybe a pretty girl would show up and i'd get to flirt with someone but like there could be 17 people there throughout a night often that's the worst part about like when you dj too like you'll just i'll dj out and i'll just be like and like and like the people at the bar or wherever like always expect to be cracking and i'm like i I don't know like sometimes like i'm you know and like other times it's like i don't know i like it's hard like i i just lost like my uh H club. I was DJing at the H club and that just shut down. Uh-huh. Um, and I was DJing for a while at, do you ever go to ETA in, uh, in Highland Park? Sure. That's a cool spot. I think so. I think so. Once. Cool spot. Well, like, you know, I left LA a few years ago and like, I haven't really been, I've been back like twice. Where are you most quietly. of the time now in New York? Again? Uh, I have a place in New York. I'm getting rid of it. Like it's just, it's been sitting there throughout core, like ready to be gotten rid of, but I left before I moved out and it's just like, like, I can't move out. I can't go yeah. back yet. Um, but I don't know. I think I'm going to be not with a home for a while. Um, yeah. I don't see the need. Uh, I think that, yeah, if I, if I look, so when I left LA, I spent about a year without a home and it was great. I traveled and I, I basically put my shit in storage. That's still in storage in Hollywood, in East Hollywood. I still have a storage unit. It's crazy. Um, I've been paying for it this whole time. It's so stupid. Um, but yeah, I don't want to live in New York full time for yeah. the next uh, chapter. Um, I, I was already doing that. So like the quarantine has not, the quarantine has only reinforced decisions, thankfully. Like, oh my God, it's so crazy. Like it has only reinforced things that I was already going to do. The, the shitty part is money because I have no idea. Like I was going to be DJing and touring and stuff. That was my plan for right now was yeah. I was releasing new music that was going to put me, you know, I could make 1500 to $5,000 a night rather quickly, like, and that's gone. So I have no idea how I'm going to, thankfully, all the, all the stuff that I needed to do is basically done. And like, I'm paying, you know, $300 here, like, like it's little bits of money that I need to finish things, but none of which is going to require me to like be in a place. So living in New York, relevant to me if i need to be there i can fly in for a little bit which i will and um otherwise like i'm thinking i go to italy in august september i come back to new york for like late september october for a little bit that part of the year is good i go to new york film festival if it happens hopefully um then i i want to move to oaxaca for the winter like i think the winter is going to be really shitty in america in the united states i i i i I was thinking of, I've been thinking about like getting a crib out in Joshua Tree at some point. Yeah. And I was kind of like, well, it's cheap. I can't afford a place in LA, but I was like, well, a place in Joshua Tree, you know, that could be kind of cool because it's close. The remote work I, thing is going to be really mainstream. Uh, yeah, totally. Like, I'm like, fine. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll just like come into LA if I need to come into LA. Right. And like, I'm like, like I'm, I'm right there. Cause I was like, I really would like to go to like some weird ass place like Big Sur, but I can't afford that either. But like, that, that'd be my, my dream. Yeah. I just keep placing a layer. So it's like my ultimate writer dream. But yeah, I think like, I don't know. I think I'm really waiting to see what happens in November. Mm-hmm. And I think if Donald Trump wins again, I like, you know, I talked to my family about this now, but like a 90 I mean, year old grandmother. He's going to win again. Like it's not. <laughs> you think he'll win again? I, I don't think there's any, I don't know, whatever. We don't need to, I, I don't want yeah, I don't no, want this to hijack if he conversation. Wins, if you, I'll put it this way. If he wins again, I'm not saying like I'm going to leave the country because that's like everyone says that, but like I might, I might have to dip for a minute because I can't, I don't think I can like, un- I don't think I can deal with that, that January 
when he gets inaugurated, if he gets inaugurated in 2021, like that feeling of go- watching his inauguration on TV will be too much for like a sane Dude, person to handle. I, I'll tell fans. you like the, the cognitive dissonance that, you know, in a good way of not being there is bliss. Like I, 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 I think you're right. I think man, you're right. I'm spared so much agita, daily agita that is not, helpful you know like the regular anxiety that so many of my new york friends are going through less so my la friends but still pretty heavily i don't get and it's i i, I literally like i'm the only totally. know, that's why i like being here. like the joshua tree even you know what i mean or it's like or a big sir wherever yeah. you are whether it's because you you're have just the like, ability to to get out it's it's yeah. fucking beautiful and that's like and I, you I don't have to be at these cities anymore especially now well, this, this, that's the thing. It's like, I'll always like, LA will always be my home. It'll always be like, you know, the, the most important thing to me in terms of yeah. like a, a sense of place. But it, I don't, if LA becomes like New York, like where it's just like, it's just CVS and Chipotle and Chopped or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to live in like this weird corporatized shadow version of the city that i love you know what i mean i'm better yeah. off just being the old man and being out like dude the way to do it is to dip in like i i, I for yeah. myself i feel i figured it out in the last like six months like i went to i spent february like late january february in uh mexico city in oaxaca i came back to new york for about 10 days and i hit everything opera ballet all the films i wanted to see all the concerts i wanted to see like i did ev- i was like two things a day i went to all the restaurants i wanted to go to i did everything i wanted to do totally. and i i saw my friend you know i i put a friend into all of that i did yeah. the meetings i needed to do i did the work stuff i needed to do most of almost all my life yeah the last time i spent in new york was shooting my film right before that at yeah. the end of the year and other than that i've tried my best to be gone but i go in and i shoot the film i go in i do the music sessions you know i go yeah. in i do the cultural shit and then otherwise like Yo, I wake up, I like look at the ocean, I swim, and I like. No, I mean you got to figure it out. <laughs> like, man, I, 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 we're doing this show. Like, if we were sitting together, like it's not that big of a difference. Like, it doesn't really no, matter, no, you know. Yeah, like, no, you know, it. Yeah, I don't. I've I, had I, an edit session on my film today. A review on a track that we're finishing, and this is my second episode recorded today. You've already recorded. Wow. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's five forty six here. I could have recorded more. Um, but yeah, I, I did one this morning and I, then I had a music session and then I had a film edit session and now you, and I have one more tonight That's and I'm going to have dinner with like a few friends right next door. And like, that's a like low stress. <laughs> like my blood pressure only went up when I exercised. That's good. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm going to work on my Mike Davis piece probably later. And, and go, I got to go to the market though. That's the thing. It's like, I'm here. I'm like, I'm going to Trader Joe's. I'm like, ah, I'm like, <laughs> like, like a gauntlet. Is it like, hectic? It's just like, I don't like waiting in line. I don't like the paranoia of everyone wearing a mask. I mean, like, I understand you need to wear Do a mask. people stand you. six feet apart and wear masks and shit? It's just depressing. I mean, like, I get it. It's necessary. Wow. But it's like, it's just like a sad, it's like, it's just everything. Like everything's just a ghost world. You know what I mean? Like, it's a weird, I try not to be negative And like my whole, I think it's like, you know, I did that LA mad piece and I thought it was yeah. imperative to kind of have some kind of, I don't know if like positivity is the right word, but like, you can't just be all like, 
everything is bad, everything is negative, doom, doom, doom. Like there's no like real oh, like intellectual right. finesse with that already. Not to say it had it, but I'm just saying like, there's no, you need to find some kind of deeper meaning, something out of it. But yeah, it's, it's really demoralizing. Like being on, you know, just seeing, you either see people that are pretending that there's not a plague or everyone is like in a hazmat suit. <laughs> you know, there's like very little True. in between. You know, again, the, the duality of man. You know? but, dude, the, but the takeaway, I'm telling you, I tell ever, I'm just like fucking, you can shift. You are so empowered and this has proven it to work from fucking anywhere. I agree. Like you can do everything that you're doing. If like you could make minor shifts if you have to, but like yeah. you don't even have to, like you got it. And it's, it is so like, this has been for me, I'm, I'm beyond blessed. Like it's, it's awkward. It's uncomfortable for me, like how this worked out for me because I was sick and I needed yeah. to be here for months to yeah. heal and I couldn't afford it until yeah. no one else, until they closed the borders and I happened to be here and it was like my money or no money. So I'm in this big house and it's awesome. But man, what I did not expect was like, I didn't miss a beat on anything. And yeah it's, it's been, it's been sweet. It's been super cool. I, you know, once you get past the, like there's sad days we all encounter, you know, we all have friends who get sick and there's scary moments and all of that. And that, you know, I've had, I mean, both of us, like we've had a bunch of people die. It's, yeah. but like, you can't, I, I, I've, there's not been one moment where I've like been like, Oh my God, like, I won't let that happen to myself. And yeah. I'm all just like, I want to make shit. I want to build this fucking world. I'm excited about it. I want to lift the people up. Like this show is really cool for me because like, you know, you and I have known each other for a while and like, we've never done this. And yeah. like, I'm you know, good. now we yeah. do. And Great. like, I know more about you and that's exciting to me. Like, yeah. that's the best part of this for me. Like one of my favorite things about being a journalist is I get to yeah. talk to people and like learn their stories and just like, right. read the shit and, like, yeah, find out. Yeah. And you walk away and it's like, the most interesting thing I found about when you have conversations with people is there were so many times when I used to have my LA weekly column and I'd go into an interview, I'd be the foulest mood. I'd be like, oh, so depressed, like driving across traffic, stress, coffee spilling everywhere, like a train. <laughs> and I'd go into the interview and I'd have like such a nice time and I'd walk out of it like as though I just like, you know, taken a, <laughs> I won't go as far to say taken a Molly, but like had a couple drinks of like, at a, you know, at, at Dan's hand. No, like, I know what you mean. There's, there's a certain, um, you know, I start, I think I start most of these not relaxed and I get very relaxed yeah. while I'm doing it. Um, there's a certain liberation to being able to go, like, it's rare that we experience in our, uh, in our programmed culture that we experience a moment where we are incentivized in all ways to quiet and focus ourselves yeah. on another person like it's even higher of an imperative than if we're just like at dinner together or having tea together sure. but if i make it us having tea on a sh on an episode like yeah. we are now like we've now checked the box of all of the potential distractions and insecurities that we have because we're actually like this is our ego also so yeah. we're satisfying our ego by doing this and like, I don't need to look at my phone to feel like cool because like, we know that we're recording this thing that is for our egos also. Yeah. And I've found that it's, yeah, it's allowed me to, it's super meditative and, and yeah, it's cool. 
I, I really like it. I, I, I did journalism when I was younger, and this is like the first time I've done this kind of thing in a while. And there's definitely a therapeutic element to it, I think, because mm -hmm. it's just sort of uh, like because you, you like get into kind of like a rhythm of like conversation, I think. And plus, plus tea's good. I'm a big, I'm, I'm glad you're a tea guy. I'm a big tea guy as well. Oh, yeah. So, well, yeah. I want to do follow ups with everyone in the real world with actual tea. Like once, once the world, once the default world returns, yeah. I want to do like a season two. It was funny. I was thinking about this. I was like, this is season one and season two should be everyone from season one again. I like that. I like but like in person with tea and you know <laughs> the makeup episode yeah sure. i don't know all right dude this is fucking this is great i'm really happy to like we've had you know I, I we've known each other for a minute but we've really never never sat down like this and, yeah. and I'm, i really appreciate really it breaking and, bread we are now we are now yeah this our, is our version our, of it our, our friend our friend we have gone from homies to true friends <laughs> <laughs> i love it yeah um but for real you know i've i've uh like i love 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 your work and yeah, i appreciate it it's always relevant to me even when you write about something like when you write about something that I don't know about. Like, that's why I was like, yeah, like go off on the Draco thing. Like, cause I didn't know all the bits and pieces. Like, cause it's like, I've probably read one of the articles, but not all of them. And um, yeah, like you are, it, it was funny. I wrote a note, like you, you've become this person that like editors go to, to describe like moments in time in Los Angeles, you know, like the Kobe article that you wrote recently, like you were the one to encapsulate it you know? like that, that was like honestly like it made me super like that was like the greatest thing whereas like i was like all these years i'm like it's kind of what you're building towards we're like i to want to be, be the guy to eulogize Kobe. yeah just like just being from la like i don't know like i have like a real sense of place i guess like that's why i could never like leave here full time but i could definitely uh -huh. like i could definitely be part-time here like i'm i'm good to kind of just like play like 28 minutes a game at this point like i'm not trying <laughs> to like necessarily like you know it's like end of your career Kobe. yeah you know? yeah like, I'm just trying to, I don't know, like, I do want to make, I, I do, I feel such a vested interest to make the city better and, and, like, in some way. And hopefully, like, I don't know, I think writing is such a, it's so important and it's so unsung, I guess, to the world that we live in. Like, everyone kind of is like, well, can you give me a video instead? Or, you know, like a podcast and, like, podcasts are great. Video is great. But it's like just, it's like part of a balanced diet. You know what I mean? I feel like everything has uh -huh. kind of gotten, like. It's about your brain also, you know, like one of my uh, episodes that I'm posting, uh, I think it'll go up on Friday with Pan, uh, who goes, went, used to go by Aristophanes with the Grimes record and everything. Uh, she's, she's from Taipei and we talk about language and we talk about how it makes the brain work and how she uses certain languages to express certain emotions in her songs and different languages to express other ones. And I think that that is like an exercise. It's a, mo it's a muscle. I mean, it's, it's fucking Braiding and like, reading is a muscle. Writing, I'm just like, Oh, like here, welcome back to this torture rack that you're dragging yourself on. But you know, it's, I, it, I wish there was something else I liked. <laughs> no, I mean, but, but reading and writing, like you can't listen to a podcast or an audible and get the same thing out of reading and writing. Totally. It's and it's like, it and it's the kind of what we were saying about hip hop earlier where it's like, yeah, I don't need all my rap to be Kendrick. I don't need all my rap to be future. Sure. I don't, you know what I mean? It's like, it's all, and yeah, I just hope that, um, I, I think people will. I think there's, I think, I think there'll always be like people that really kind of, and like, it, it just makes it that much more challenging for a writer. Have you thought of doing like a compendium? Yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm working on 
like a, I think I'm going to go work on a book this year. I don't know um, if that's the word, but you know what I mean? Like a, at some point, yeah, I'd like to, I just don't want to be like such a narcissist where I'm like, here's the Jeff Weiss collection, you know, where I'm like, so what do you mean, that's exactly what it is. Like, I, I, I want to write a couple books first and then be, come back and be like, okay, yeah, here's my collected essays or whatever. Yeah. But I, I got, I got a lot of black faces. Fran Lebowitz has been doing interviews on her two books that are just compendiums, you know, for, 40 years. <laughs> he's a better interview than me though. <laughs> she's pretty wonderful, but she's been interviewing, promoting two books for her whole a life. A true queen. <laughs> it's crazy. She's never written another book. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out Fran Leibowitz. Let's, let's go out on that note. <laughs> <laughs> sure. It's all, yeah. all devoted to the, to the goddess Fran Leibowitz. Yeah. yeah. I'll have her on one day. She's wonderful. Yeah. Um, awesome. All right, dude, this has been a pleasure. Awesome. Uh, stay you know don't go to trader joe's too much that place is evil and uh <laughs> yeah you know yeah uh hopefully in the new world and yeah. you know next year in jerusalem <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. all right man thank you so much thank you peace